and welcome to the Min Max Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Leo Vader himself. The very same. Mm-hmm. And we have Kyle Hilliard. It's me. And we have Jeff Marchiafava. Me. Welcome, Jeff Marchiafava. Um, we have a big show, everybody. We're talking a little bit more about Resident Evil Village, some follow-up thoughts from last week, um, and then that's going to beautifully and naturally transition into a discussion about the most successful, longest-running game franchise of all time. Maybe even a debate, some would say. Let's just tip our cap to the legends in the industry and kind of talk about how they got where they are, what's happening, the dings along the way, all that fun stuff. Um, then, Leo, have you been playing a little bit of Subnautica Below Zero? That's exactly how much I've been playing. Oh, good. Let's talk about it. And then, Leo, perhaps maybe a little bit of Assassin's Creed Valhalla Wrath of the Druids DLC? If you're nasty. All right. And then we'll talk about uh, Nintendo Game Builder Garage as well. Then the back half of the show, we have some wonderful community questions that people submitted over on Patreon. And we're nuking the board. Nuking it from orbit, as they say. Clearing all these jokers out. Uh, and we're getting... The fire team themselves, the Fire Escape cast crew. We have Mary Kish, Dan Reichert, and Mike Mahardy from their new gaming podcast, The Fire Escape Cast. They're going to be joining us to answer some wonderful questions from the community. Um, Leo, I guess you can like hang out and watch us live at the Backstage Pass if you want to, just like if you just keep it quiet. Okay, thank you. Okay, cool, no problem. Um, hey, Jeff. Um. Hey, sir. <laughs> thank you. Does the name David mean anything to you? Like David and Goliath? It's a bit of a David and Goliath story. So um, everybody that supports us on Patreon, I send them a message and I say like, mm-hmm. hey, how'd you find us? Uh, what brought you here? What do you want to see from us in the future? All that fun stuff. And it's really interesting to track people's different paths and what they want. Um, and this fella says, oh, me? Uh, I I just have known Jeff um, since he was a little kid. That's all. And he And I said, oh, do you have any good embarrassing stories? And this fella says, quote, I remember how Jeffum's family would put on a whole production for Halloween. His mom would answer the door. He would be torturing his sister on the inside balcony, overlooking the door to draw your attention in. And then as soon as you grab some candy, his brother would come out from behind you with a chainsaw running at you. The time I was expecting that, I still nearly had a heart attack. Um, does this does this David character have a last name? Uh, I didn't want to share it. I didn't even copy and paste I, it. But. I figured, yeah. But he said he hasn't I talked to you he in twenty four years. Old neighbor, and he was much younger than me. And then one year he grew like so much taller than me, I barely recognized him. That's our David. Um, well, thanks for your yes. support, David. Um, so you had to like mime torturing your sister to distract them so the chainsaw yeah, brother it, could come. I mean, my my older brother was the impetus behind it. He really really enjoyed Halloween and we would come up with like we had fog machine we had strobe lights we had multiple multiple years kids would run into the street um, in front of cars oh my god trying to get away and it and it was an actual chainsaw but he took the chain off it so it was moderately safer but, but still like loud and as scary as you can get <laughs> yes that is so awesome do you keep that tradition alive you're going to keep that rolling in your beautiful new family here no, it's too much work. Okay, gotcha. And also, we're on a busy street, so it's that's a recipe for disaster. I understand. Um, hey, just a reminder for everybody, we have the deepest dive happening, kicking off uh, next week for Mass Effect. So we are creating the best, most thorough discussion about Mass Effect 1 
on the internet thanks to your support so that's going to be public on our youtube channel our huge community game club discussions are going to be joined by sarah omale a uh, voice actor from gone home and anthem interestingly enough uh, and joe juba formerly of game informer and then leo vader will be there as well so if you want to join us in that adventure you can support us on patreon at any tier and submit a comment and we'll read it on the show for the first section we are looking for discussions all about Mass Effect 1, up until you leave the Citadel. So that's the stopping point. It won't be spoiling anything after that. So if it's your first time playing Mass Effect with the Legendary Edition here, or with the original, whatever you want to play, uh, that is going to be your stopping point, and we'll be collecting your comments on Monday over on Patreon and, and reading them on the discussion. Leo, are you looking forward to that journey? I sure am. I've been nothing but interested in Mass Effect my whole life, and I've always fell off some ways into the first one, and now I won't be allowed to. <laughs> That's right. Contractually obligated to finish Mass Effect 1. I'm kind of... I, I saw some people in the Discord talking about, like, oh boy, there's going to be some jank going back to Mass Effect 1. And there's a weird part of me that's like, I haven't played the game for so long, I'm excited for it. I'm I'm hungry for that old Bioware jank, you know? Well, we'll see how it is in the Legendary Edition, too. That's true. A little smooth around the edges. Um, Resident Evil Village, everybody. Uh, we talked about it last week. Primarily, Janet um, and Serial had been playing a lot of it, but now everybody here is playing it. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. Let's see. Trying to get a lay of the land. It seemed like, Kyle, you're the, you're the hottest on this thing. Yeah, I really like it a lot. It's like I was, I don't have it in my head, but I was thinking of like, oh, how would I rank all the Resident Evil games? And I think this would, I haven't finished it yet, but like, I bet it would be top five for me probably what about it i like the setting i like how crazy it is um i like uh the sort of somewhat kind of hub nature of the sort of the pace of the game how you have like the middle area that you kind of i mean that's not uncommon for resident evil to have like a big area that you explore wholly throughout the course of the game but i don't know here it just feels like a little bit more like okay i've done that thing time to return here and i just i don't know i just like I just like how insane it is. I mean, that's the big thing for me. It's just like how crazy it is. And it just keeps going and building and building and building. Yeah, I'm with you. I was really delighted. It's an early scene. But when you see kind of like the group of freaks that are running this town, each freakier and more different than the last, it's like this is something I was not expecting. But I'm fully on board for like, here's just basically a series of weirdos. It feels like you know, a running man type situation, or even like, you know, Metal Gear Solid of just like, look at this collection of weirdos. If they could have gotten the number eight inserted into series of weirdos, I bet they would have gone with that as like the (laughs) subtitle. But yeah, I, I, it took a while for me to kind of get in the groove. I really wasn't digging it for kind of the opening, I guess, more set PC stuff where it's like, ah, werewolves in the town, jumping out from behind a tree. I just didn't feel like that was flowing in a smooth way. Maybe it was a level design. Maybe I just wasn't in the right headspace. But it wasn't until, like, I really got into the castle and then started getting into that classic Resident Evil groove of, like, okay, that's right. It's an adventure game. Let's get an item, unlock a new door. And once I'm in that zone, now I'm really enjoying it. But I'm only maybe, like, you know, four hours in or something like that. Yeah, if this is what Resident Evil is now, just like you are introduced to a cast of weirdos at the start and then one by one you kind of deal with them, I'm on board. Like, I loved them in 7. I loved that family and I thought that was a really high bar to live up to. It was like all those memorable characters introduced in such a like compelling way and then having them all pay off and be unique. And I think they completely topped it in this one, which I was not expecting and was pleasantly surprised by. Yeah, how far are you now, Leo? I beat it. Oh, wow. Awesome. Anything it maintains that through the end? 
I think so. And it does a better job of it being like a gradual build towards the payoff versus seven kind of taking some twists and turns that left it not feeling as satisfying at the end as this one did. Yeah, uh, we're going to be spoiler free in this discussion. But just a heads up, uh, we're planning on recording a, a Max Spoilers episode on our YouTube channel and the Patreon exclusive podcast feed once some more folks have beat it, specific, beat it like specifically Kyle, I think. But Jeff, uh, what do you think of this thing so far? Uh, I'm, it sounds like I'm about as far into it as you are, um, but I'm super enjoying it. And I want this is one I'm going to see through, even though I'm not contractually obligated at this point. Um, it and it's kind of for all the same reasons. I I didn't realize how much of a draw exploring a castle would be because that because castles are so common in video games, but it always kind of seems synonymous with just a bunch of plain concrete, you know, like brick rooms. And this is this is the first castle that I I mean, I guess maybe some Assassin's Creed games when you actually go into places. But this feels like an actual what castles really looked like in terms of just a bunch of rooms that are way too crowded each one has its own theme and it's just poorly lit and and there's something just so inherently creepy about about castles like that that it's it's really fun to kind of explore that right and compared to like re4's yeah. castle like every room in this place i just have to stop and slowly look around like just I, the lighting is incredible just the the art in that place is incredible yeah. there's that one room that's like has the super oversized bathtub that's way I too big i love that i love the idea just, like, just that is like creepy on its own it's like i understand this is a large woman who needs a big bath but it's like <laughs> just seeing this like element of her normal life is just is it's unsettling and i love know? that it's right next to like I don't know what you call it. I guess the mannequin where she keeps her clothes. And so, like yeah. multiple times, I've gone through that door and it's like, oh god, because I think she's standing right there. And it's like, oh no, just her stupid clothes. But it's so effective. All throughout that game, I would see like glimmers of white fabric in the corner of my eye, and I had like trauma from it. It was <laughs> like I was terrified every time. I I do. We'll say in the vein of world building for this, it's like the only game I can remember where I actually read all of the documents I found. Really? Because they're short and interesting. <laughs> they don't like overstay their welcome. They're, you know, five pages yeah. of three sentences max. I, yeah, Resident Evil has always been good at that, at just giving you enough. And like you said, just short, just like just like one page that's like, mm, this experiment went poorly. Now this guy's got a chainsaw. And it's like, okay, well, that's intriguing. <laughs> I don't need more than that. Right. Right. Don't you wonder why these women are bugs? Well, here's a very stupid short reason, and it'll be enough for you. It's like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Now it's just a fun series of kind of mini bosses along the way and all that stuff. But oh, this guy says it's my fault the women are bugs. Got it. <laughs> cool. But but it's it's also so nice just having having lore in Resident Evil that's not built around and no no future spoilers from you, Leo, or anything like that. Not that you would, but not having it have to have to make sense with all of the you know the virus and it's not just more stupid mutants like i like those bug ladies and and i liked actually learning about that and having it be at least a little different from every other you know zombie mutant thing in resident evil lore and the the fact that it's kind of steeped in this weird creepy old you know european town lore is is cool yeah, as somebody who's not a big fan of the series historically, I thought this one like clearly was doing things for the people who were fans, but in a way that still made it like fun onboarding for me. That was like setting up a lot of things that I found interesting about the world. 
Yeah, uh, I know a lot of people have talked about, <laughs> and I think even on the podcast last week we talked about Ethan Winters just getting the crap kicked out of him, but I was not expecting it to be like full naked gun O.J. Simpson level of him just getting specifically his hands tortured repeatedly <laughs> and in the most absurd ways over and over again. Yeah, I, I was going to say like, I, I I wasn't expecting the cartoon regeneration laws to apply here. <laughs> right, right. It, it's a weird one, but, you know, you got to roll with it. They got to show those hands and show the terror of the world and what it can There's, do to a man's hands. I know I know people have, like, and it is laughable, those talking about, but, like, for what it's worth, like, there is an optional cutscene in Resident Evil 7 that kind of at least offers that, you know, that Resident Evil-style very limited explanation of, like, you know, I mean, Resident Evil's always outside of the realm of, like, reality, but, like, there is at least, you know, something there that it's not so ridiculous, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, It's a weird game to play along with Returnal, like, jumping back and forth between those two games, because, like, I'm so used to the maneuverability in Returnal. I keep hitting B, hoping for, like, that quick dash to the side or something, especially when Lady D is in the same castle with you. It's like, okay, I just need that quick dodge in some way. But, all right, Resident Evil mindset. I got to lock myself into this sucker. There's, for some reason, on mouse and keyboard, there's two buttons for the quick 180 turn, and it's like, why not have one of them be the 360 turn? You just spin around. Yeah. <laughs> Here off. I am. No scope. I'm no scope, Ethan. Right. Yeah, Kyle, I saw you share that <laughs> that tweet where somebody was saying, where it's like playing Resident Evil Village is like it's Warzone. It's just like the most like jittery looking swapping just, between weapons yeah, at all like times. Zooming in and out, constantly changing weapons. It made me laugh so hard because it's like <laughs> that is not how you should be playing Resident Evil. Uh, <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Uh, I think the game. Same time though, Hanson. Yeah. Like, I it feels more responsive just from being in first person like I I like not having to kind of wrestle with my character and the camera at the same time and and so when a bunch of when a bunch of you know vampire zombie enemies pop up out of a blood pool and they're surrounding me like I still feel like I have enough maneuverability I'm still kind of scared and when I'm trying to stab them in the face like I still get freaked out but I I don't I'm I, I still feel like I I have a little bit more ability than I do in the old, you know, third person game. So Yeah, yeah. I know that's last another week, reason I'm liking it a lot. I dig it. Last week I got on a high horse and I was like, this game isn't gonna be scary because werewolves aren't scary. I've never been scared of werewolves. Forgetting that werewolves are like just such a sliver of the type of enemies you encounter. So like it wasn't until like being in the castle and like the first non-werewolf enemy you encounter kind of in the basement area. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm actually sufficiently freaked out. I'm more freaked out than I was expecting uh, in this area. So I'm looking forward to... So without... No betrayal here. Have you beaten Lady D? No. Like, have you gone on to the next series no, of No, which of I hear is the scariest set of freaks. Is kind of that second area. This is definitely the first time I've been genuinely freaked out in a Resident Evil game ever. Really? Like, nev- I love Resident Evil. I've never found it particularly scary. There was a moment in this game where I was like, F... This this is messed up. Okay, what so, if I okay? What if I play at like ten thirty in the morning, sun coming through the window, a big old cup of tea next to me? How will I do? Awful. You're gonna do terrible. Okay, <laughs> have someone with you. Okay, looking forward Get to a it. Podcast going. <laughs> that would be so lame. Just a comfort podcast. We should record it. A comfort podcast people can listen to when they play scary games. You're safe. It's just a game. It's just a game. You can reach Don't out and worry. touch it. It's a two-dimensional television. <laughs> um, but hey, Resident Evil... Okay, buckle up, Jeff. I'm 
Resident Evil Village, I mean, the eighth mainline entry, and they're still going strong. Talk of the town. You gotta give it up for these long-running franchises. Hey! Um, I, I, I have been thinking a lot about just, like, that transition from calling it Resident Evil 7 to, well, I guess the biohazard thing was confusing with the naming of Resident Evil 7, but now just forget the numbers. You, It's an implied number, but we need new entry points, so let's just call it Resident Evil Village. Like, I'm fascinated by that idea of when a classic franchise just gets rid of the number altogether. Well, it's Village because VII is in it, and I really wonder if they work backwards from the words they could fit that in. Kyle, how do you keep a franchise relevant? God, you know, it's... Because the, the interesting thing to start from, I think, for me is, like, listing some, right? Because, like, Resident Evil comes to mind. Final Fantasy is one, I think, that comes to mind. And then, like, a lot of Nintendo stuff, you know, Zelda, Mario. Um, I See, I don't even know if, like, Metroid is in this conversation necessarily because it's it tough. just has kind of tapered off in a way that I don't love. I would love it to come back in a big way. But, like, I mean, there's there's this middle ground that you have to strike between doing something completely new while still maintaining sort of the original idea, which is, like, really hard to pull off. You know what I mean? And as Resident Evil, I think, has strayed, at least at, on one occasion with 6, where they went too far into the action zone, and then they had to kind of pull it in a little bit, you know? Yeah, and with Resident Evil 2, it's interesting just to think about Village can still make a big splash, but they still release so many side games, or at least they have throughout their history, that haven't really dinged them. And that's a fascinating aspect of the industry, I think, is when they have... Even a Mario syndrome where it's like, you know what the mainline games are. Yes, we're going to experiment, keep milking this thing to help support the overall company in different weird ways. But still, it is a clear defining line when we announce the next big one here. And like for something like Mario, I guess that even gets trickier when it doesn't have numbers involved anymore. It's just kind of like an implied, this is the real game with Mario in the title. The other ones, you know what they are. Yeah, it's it's weird that we all kind of understand that system. Like, if it's like a 3D console game now, it's like, okay, that's true Mario. This is the new Mario. You know, even though there's plenty of like 2D spin-offs and stuff like that. It's it's weird how how we've all kind of accepted that. That's yeah, the way it is. It's also interesting how you're right that there are some of those games where they can totally flub you know an installment or even multiple installments, and people are still excited. Whereas other series you know like like mass effect kind of i guess is oh, yeah. one where they had that huge you know the trilogy was huge and then they came out with andromeda and everyone was like are we done with mass effect and even the company's like i don't know if you know mass effect is sellable anymore and it, it seems like maybe western series have that franchise fatigue more than than Japanese series where it's like Resident Evil, yeah, sure, whatever. We did a bad one, we can bounce back, or we did like a crazy spin-off and it didn't do well. Here's here's the next one, and everyone's already like, oh yeah, now I'm excited again. I don't I don't know what it is that kind of differentiates that. That's a really interesting distinction I hadn't really thought about before. Like maybe it's just because they're slightly more spaced out with Japanese releases. You look at something like Street Fighter. I mean, that's certainly up there for most successful series of all time. And it's crazy that they're only on the fifth mainline entry. I know there's a million offshoots and the numbering gets 200. confusing. Well, 275. <laughs> but it's just crazy that like I love it. It's like, no, this is five. We've only worked our way up to mainline five. And that's valuable compared to like an Assassin's Creed where it's like, we need to get one of these out every year. I mean, if they had been cranking out an East title 
every year since 1987. Maybe more people be rolling their eyes about like, Ugh, East 9 over here. Okay, we get it. We get it. Sacks and, of cash. We get it. And, and that's that's the weird thing where with like Assassin's Creed, it feels like a lot of people, they hit an entry, even though they're all kind of changing and they're all trying to do something different. A lot of people, it seems like, have hit an entry and they're like, man, maybe I'm just done with Assassin's Creed. And yeah, and it, but something like Resident Evil seems kind of bulletproof in terms of that. I I don't maybe maybe that's circumstantial and other people have fallen off the series, but it, it seems like each one of those games and like Final Fantasy is another one where like people still get hyped up for for the next one. Assassin's Creed almost feels like a unique one to me in that it feels like an excuse to just make a game in each of these settings. And because they can use the Assassin's Creed brand to do it, which is strong, like they can make a Viking game that has nearly no stealth in it. You know, like that could have been a new IP, but it's a safer bet to make it an Assassin's Creed game. And I don't know of any other long running franchises that are really like that. Yeah, I think there's something to be said, too, of like the Final Fantasy approach of like, and I think Resident Evil pulls this off to a certain degree of like each one of these is like pretty individual right mm-hmm. like they're they don't tie that much to the to the previous especially in story because like and then as like a, a person who is interested in, in final fantasy you can skip a bunch and still like duck in and, and play them here and there and i think resident evil started with that you know like one and then two is actually pretty disconnected from one and then when you get into three is more disconnected four feels totally standalone and then I think six went too far where there was all recurring characters and a continuation of the story. And like, I think that hurt it. And then seven is another clear line where it's like new character. Even the references to the previous games are very subtle. Like you have to seek them out in Resident Evil seven to like find until the end. And then there's like a big thing that ties it all together uh, in, in a small way. But like, yeah, I think that's I think that's an element. Zelda pulls that off, too, where it's like these are these you don't need to play the previous one to play this one, you know, where Assassin's Creed, I kind of even though I like really enjoyed Vikings and played it a lot, I did feel like a little disconnected because it was like I I, I feel like I've missed a huge chunk of the story in some way. Yeah, I like that you call it Vikings, by the way. Yeah, I think there's some like <laughs> there's some connection, I think, to like the importance of the continuing story in Resident Evil and Assassin's Creed. Those feel kind of similar, but I think you're right. Like it's so nice with a series like Resident Evil that is going on for so long to have those kind of reset lines. I feel like every franchise needs that every two to three entries of just being like, OK, for real now, lying in the sand, everybody can jump in because I mean, I remember visiting bioware for mass effect 3 back at game informer and like part of their messaging was mass effect 3 is a great jumping on point for the series everybody come in you don't need to know what happened before to enjoy mass effect 3 it's like are you guys nuts like that was the entire pitch from one and now you're gonna be like no no no, we need more sales so please come on in but yeah zelda is obviously a juggernaut and it does such a good job of resetting things basically every time but, but if I may, like, I like, you have to give it up for those continuing stories. And I understand there's a Zelda timeline, but it, it seems like so much more of a challenge to keep that storyline running for that entire time. And so it's like Metal Gear before its demise, hopefully. Um, well, in some ways, hopefully. But, um, or something like, well, this is confusing, but I remember... On the YouTube channel, 
Harada's Bar, which I've watched every video on, I'm obsessed with uh, Harada, you know, uh, Harada, creator of Tekken, all that fun stuff. Um, he was talking about how Tekken won the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest continuing storyline in video games. This exact wording was longest running cohesive storyline in all of video games. Which I'm still trying to wrap my mind around exactly sure. what makes that count and how big the Tekken storyline is where fans would be able to clearly celebrate it as like, oh yeah, this is the grandest story in games compared to something like a Street Fighter or compared to something like a Mortal Kombat because that has the reboot before yeah. 9. That that sounds totally made up and I I wouldn't put a lot of stock in that. But is <laughs> if, if you have a long a long running franchise and you're trying to tell a story, like one story throughout it, is it just inevitable that it's going to become completely uncomprehensible for everyone like like in order to understand a story do you need to go to a wiki that will give you a synopsis of each one like i'm trying to think of a long-running series that has one story that's easily that like people go like oh yeah well you know let me sit down let me tell you what this story was and, and actually know all the beats yeah, maybe Mario is I as mean, close as it gets. I mean, its story is weird, but in terms of just like a shared world and not kind of rebooting in different versions and stuff like Mario, like Pokemon is something where it's like the story is you're in a new region, catch them, go. And just reboot that That's every couple not years. A story. I mean, <laughs> there's connections every once in a while. Sometimes you yeah, check with Guinness if that's a story. Yeah, you. I mean, you were you were talking about one kind of long running, running story, and I and I feel like that is just. I think the reason that they reboot them so often is because it just after three, you know, installments, it's like, wait, who are these characters? And then they have to come up with just insane explanations for things. And well, especially, I, I, I wonder if you lose the value of having one long story just by that basis of it's like well after after a couple episodes that have been you know like are 10 years spread across 10 years like you're gonna lose the audience anyway so it's better to just you know pull in different characters and do different stories within this one world which i think is the smart distinction is those long-running franchises that are not getting bogged down in their story because they're able to jump different regions like a Pokemon or even like an Elder Scrolls where it's like, here's a new region and here's some new storylines. Don't worry about this continuing thread to a large degree. Hardcore fans can read some books and figure it out. But I think that's a really healthy recipe is just like to have that location hopping ready to go within your franchise. Yeah, and I'm glad that's kind of the norm as people expect like a whole new region, a whole new setup because I think a lot of these franchises to shorten the term just for the ease of this conversation. A lot of these franchises could get away with like reusing concepts and assets and setting things, you know, the day after Skyrim takes place or whatever. But I think it's definitely helps their longevity to have them be more ambitious than that. Yeah. And kind of having that baked in cycle and transition to new, I think maybe in my mind, the most successful, like, longest-running franchise for staying fresh, maybe, is something like Civ, where I understand storyline does not really apply in this situation, but I think they have such a good model of every new Civ entry is a huge deal. It'll still sell gazillions. I mean, the franchise has sold over 33 million copies at this point. It's been going on for 27 years, and to keep that model of every new entry is going to be five, six years apart at least, it's going to have a completely new designer, director behind it, 
And then they have the Sid Meier philosophy of one third of it should be the same, one third changed, and then one third completely new, which, you know, we've talked about a lot at MinMax. We tried to model that for a transition uh, throughout the last year and stuff. And I think it's a good model for, you know, a systems heavy game or a systems heavy uh, Patreon. I don't know. But I love that idea. It's almost like the old Mission Impossible series before Macquarie took over, you know, of just like every Mission Impossible is going to be with a new director kind of leading the shots. And I think calling the shots, I think that really adds a lot to the franchise. And I, I think that's another franchise where even, you know, like they're a longtime fans. And even if they don't like one entry in the series, they're ready to check out the next one when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you could say the same for Final Fantasy as well. And for a lot of the same reasons, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But then I get torn because then on the flip side, I'm always like, God, I still love the idea of Mortal Kombat, though. The idea of Ed Boon, this guy has been directing these games since 1992. And the fact that like he was still the sole director credited for Mortal Kombat 11, it's bonkers. And I know he's losing his mind down there and he's desperate to do anything other than Mortal Kombat, but it's just incredible to have like this monogamous relationship between Ed Boon and Mortal Kombat for so long. It's insane. That may be a special case where like because it's the fighting genre and because it's so insane story-wise that it, it makes more sense for that to work where it's like Ed Boon can come up with whatever he wants and it will still kind of work in that universe and mm-hmm. they can have fun with it. Yeah. I don't know if that would work for if you were doing like a serious RPG series. Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, along the same lines, you've got Sakurai and S- Smash Brothers. It's as not that many entries, but a super long-running franchise. And that one, it's like, where are they going to possibly go from here? They don't. They couldn't top everybody, right? Everybody no. plus <laughs> one? No, just port it to whatever new console comes out and maybe keep adding characters, and that seems good. Sakurai, go rest for a while. Go sleep for 100 years. Uh, we're all looking rest forward to you. You resting. have a long weekend this weekend, Sakurai, and then... <laughs> Back to it. Please enjoy. Uh, another one we should talk about, yeah. Hanson, is Yakuza. That's true. Because I Ooh, and I yeah. just saw the news story. Maybe maybe this was maybe this was old news, but they announced that every Yakuza going forward was going to stick with the turn-based system, which was so interesting to me. That after like I understand the impetus to try a new system, you know, after so many years. But then to say, yeah, actually, no, this just works better and maybe it's sold better or whatever, but let's just stick with this going forward. Seems like a huge call, and and that's really cool. And I think that one of the reasons they can do that then is because they have the Judgment series where it's like, okay, for the fans of action, that'll kind of be more old-school Yakuza action, and then we'll have the turn-based thing. Just to, and I think that's a good example of where experimenting with those side projects has paid off. Of Like, okay, you fans, if you're dying for this, we're going to keep that legacy alive over here, or you can stay on board. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, in terms of ongoing stories that are not, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I guess I didn't play too much Yakuza 6, but like, there's a lot going on, but I don't think it is, they haven't, well, I was going to say they haven't gotten to time travel, but I guess they have like <laughs> the zombie spinoff and all that weird stuff. But I'm saying for the storyline of Yakuza 6, maybe relatively grounded versus where you'd expect for a storyline going that far. Sure. And I think that's another franchise and move that you have to give it up for them knowing to do it before the fans knew they wanted it, you know? Right. Could have right. could have kept making Yakuza games with Kiryu in Kamurocho for a lot longer than they did. And they said somewhere, I believe, that 
Yakuza 7, like the turn-based RPG system, that that started as an April Fool's Day joke. And that they like started experimented with it after that and then decided to lock it in. So it's just a weird route there. Um, yeah, I was looking at the uh, the big old list of longest-running franchises. Obviously, Big Papa, Near and Dear to Our Hearts. we got the Oregon Trail at 50 years this year, which new entry just came out on Apple Arcade. It's an odd one, but you got to count it. It's nuts. How's it, how's it a new entry? Uh, that Apple Arcade game. It's a new game. But is it a, the next part of the trail? You go into the ocean off the West Coast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's huge. No, but you, I mean, you follow the generations. Actually, it's actually contemporary, and it's just you getting in a car and just driving, and it's really unspectacular. Yeah, Oregon's really sold <laughs> out. Um, but uh, another one that snuck up on me for how freaking old it is is I always forget how old Wolfenstein is. It's thirty-eight oh, years sure. old. It's mind-boggling, and obviously that one had some time off for a stretch there, so it's a little bit tricky. But still, that's mind-boggling. But not continuing storyline. Obviously, there's reboots and stuff in there, even though those exact lines are confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I still have a sweet spot in my heart for every time a franchise tries to regain attention by slapping the number back on there. This is my favorite thing. You know, it's like where they take a break for a while from numbers, and then it's like, no, 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 this game here. Sonic the Hedgehog 4. Everybody check it. And like when they sh- shoot that shot and they miss, it's like done. Unforgivable with Sonic the Hedgehog 4. Now we will never trust you again. Even after Sonic Mania, which is very good, I feel like it took a lot of ramming Sonic Mania down people's throats for like, okay, actually, I will check it out. And it is actually solid. That, But that's kind of an interesting franchise where it's kind of, I guess, the opposite, where like the fans have just kept that series alive. I mean, even even the creators of Sonic must have been like, God, this was like our 10th whiff in a row, but it's still selling. People still want the next one. I guess we'll keep going. Mm-hmm. It's a cute character, Jeff. Um, haven't you seen people his keep face? Buying it. And people like if the fans do like it, though, you know, like just because the critical consensus isn't positive doesn't mean that it's, you know, a bad game. Yeah. If the fans are still enjoying it, they're probably going like, you know, we're making it for this specific audience. But yeah, it does make me think, like I was saying, a lot of these franchises could get away with more whiffs like that. Like Mortal Kombat, I think could have two or three bad games in a row before people were like batting an eye about buying the next one. Yeah, and they've definitely lost their path a couple times along the way. But yeah, I think that's true. But still, Mortal Kombat 12, whenever it's announced, it's going to be a huge deal again. Whatever they end yeah. up calling it, because it's time and for another refresh. Is all of this just kind of built on nostalgia then? Like, if if a franchise got you at a certain age, you're just permanently on board, and you'll, you're willing to give it another shot, even if it, no matter how many times it stings you? I don't think so. I think you look at so many people that love Pokemon games, but still, when it comes to new ones, it's like, I think I'm done with that formula. I'm still waiting for them to shake it up. And hopefully Pokemon Legends will do that. But when basically everybody we know but if, but if played they, love Pokemon. But if, they do, but if they do change it up finally, then are all those people going to be like, oh, heck yeah, this is the Pokemon I've been waiting. If like, they pull like, off. Do they still, is, is the difference there that, that Nintendo just refuses to shake up Pokemon or the Pokemon Game Freak? refuses to shake up pokemon versus these other ones where it's like yeah okay we're we're changing mortal kombat and we're back to the thing that we think that you'll like and then all the mortal kombat fans who like have that little boy in them still is like all right another mortal kombat i'm gonna go buy it i guess so yeah game freak just knowing what they want and they want to keep a smaller team it's like okay 
we need to be able to crank these out in a certain number of years, so this is the level of yeah. reinvention we can do. Well, with Pokemon, I think Jeffem's point is is interesting of like, is it just a matter of getting someone when they're young, mm-hmm. right? Because like, I think they approach every Pokemon as if it is somebody's first Pokemon. Like my daughter's favorite Pokemon is Sword and Shield because it happened to be her first and they if they had made it more complicated or more difficult to appeal to the Hansons of the world, right. like, I don't think it would have reeled her in, you know? And so, I mean, that's got to be part of their idea. It's like, we got to get these ki- we have to get these kids into Pokemon when they're young or we, or we lose them or we're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, may, maybe maybe it's more valuable to them to get the next younger generation and hold on to them for five or ten years than it is to get the old salty dogs and actually please them because they're going to dwindle off anyway. Just and they're for, the ones who complain the most anyway. That is true. No matter what they do. It's true. Maybe they're smart. Maybe that's... Adults will, won't be ever be happy, and they yeah. realize that. <laughs> and they think it's a, because of Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Which is part of the problem. Uh, long-running franchises. Gotta love them. Um, Leo, should we talk about that Assassin's Creed Wrath of the Druid? We can give it a couple minutes. All right. This is the stand No, not standalone. But this is no. the DLC where you go to Ireland. That's right. A new region in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's apparently like 15 hours more of gameplay. I'm like four or five hours into it right now. The biggest change-up, it's a new campaign, but the biggest gameplay change-up is all these trade posts around Ireland, which is kind of like building up your base in the main game. You're going to monasteries and terrorizing monks to get their clothing or jewels or whatever the new trade currencies are, and then you're like going through these contracts and you're going, well, I want to submit these clothings to this place so that I get these rewards. And it's very, seems systemic, the contracts which is interesting, like checking in, seeing, oh, I have this new one that will get me this mount versus this new axe. Those are the decisions you're making. But it's the progression of like building up the trading outposts is not surprising, but pretty solid. Uh, so I liked Valhalla, but it was just way too big, um, which I think a lot of people experience that. And so the, this kind of seems tempting if it's like, here's a story where you just go to a completely different region, self-contained little storyline. Is it going to be satisfying? Like, should I actually jump into it? I think it's appealing in that way, it being a very contained thing. You do have to play a bit of Valhalla to get to it, though. Okay. The recommended power level is like 55, but I'm still not 55, Mm. and I'm doing fine in it. Like, I jumped in when I was like 35, and it's not crazy hard or anything. That game in general is just not crazy hard. You can just kind of... Same protagonist and everything, right? It's not like an isolated new assassin or anything like that? Yep. Same Eivor visiting her cousin, the king of Dublin. Cool. Uh, and you're enjoying Valhalla too? I know you kind of been surprisingly yeah. into it over the last month. I've been playing it with my sweetie. It's All a good right. we're finding games that we both enjoy and it's like kind of that mesh of interests of enjoying a, of you know exploring a big beautiful world and having the more ability based combat. I've been enjoying it fine. Yeah. I've been enjoying the combat more as I like give up trying to play it like a stealth game, like getting into the rating and everything and getting into the power grind been more fun yeah oh good um did you see that news this week about ubisoft maybe slowing down on the amount of triple a big releases and focusing on triple a mobile experiences so this is they said mobile i just heard free to play 
Uh, so here's the wording. Uh, this is Ubisoft's chief financial officer, Frederick Dujewit. I'm sorry. Uh, he says, in line with the evolution of our high-quality lineup that is increasingly diverse, we're moving on from our prior comment regarding releasing three to four premium AAA games per year. Additionally, we're building high-end free-to-play games to be trending towards AAA ambitions over the long term. Yeah, you're right, Leo. So I think bundled with that, or like right before that, they announced that they're making a free-to-play game called The Division Heartland that Red Storm is making. Um, And then also a separate Division mobile game. But it seems like this is kind of looking at the success of something like a Warzone and thinking like, okay, Activision has made so much money off of Warzone and even Call of Duty Mobile. Let's just try and and rope that in with more Ubisoft franchises. Right, and using it as a way to get people into the Ubisoft Connect ecosystem. Yeah. What was the free-to-play uh, Battle Royale? I, f- I forgot the name. Of the yeah, was that a success? Is that still going? I, I don't know. I, I, I think I, that answers your question, Kyle. It has been... <laughs> you are not the only person point. who can't remember the name of that game. I can never remember it. And Leo, you continue to play it for quite a while, right? Not really. I checked in every once in a while, and I think it's plenty fun, but... <laughs> to be honest... I just get melted in that game faster than any other battle royale on the market. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, didn't, I didn't think it was bad by any means. It was just no. kind of like, didn't really make much of an impact, you know? Yeah. Well, if it's any, if it means anything, I just looked at Google Trends for Hyperscape and uh, seemed to flatline a while ago. But yeah, I'm curious to see what they do. They'll probably try to have another battle royale. Maybe that's even what Heartland is. I mean, for the Division universe. I mean, honestly, like I'm surprised Ghost Recon didn't, have a mode or something you know what i mean it seems like yeah. a much like if they want to get into battle royale the the it's not the easy thing necessarily but the smart thing would have been just like hey we have this open world ghost recon game that people like and it has the word ghost recon in the title you know i'm Let's no expert but it really just seems like they'd be better off instead of being the 800th free-to-play battle royale be the free-to-play loot shooter with their division game like i hope yeah. that's the route mm. they're going is doing like unique things only they can do and f- having them work with a free to play model. Yeah. Compared to like a war zone, even just differentiating even more. Right. Yeah. No. Um, Hey, Subnautica below zero. We should talk about this thing. Uh, survival game. Uh, this is standalone. So it's kind of a confusing path where Subnautica, uh, the base game launched 1.0 back in I think early 2018. And I, I really love that original game. And then they announced, hey, we're working on standalone DLC called Below Zero, which is all kind of a Arctic environment. And it's just been ballooning throughout the years. And now it's like not quite sequel. It feels almost like a Miles Morales, Miles Morales-esque size thing for what they're doing here. But it's surprisingly cool. Yeah. I mean, for standalone DLC, $30 is kind of a big ask, especially since it's still in early access. And going into it, it's cool, but it's like, this is exactly how I remember Subnautica being. Like, the stuff that is new, which is the above-ground things, the biomes, Yeah, I believe. That stuff I haven't really gotten to yet. Maybe that makes it feel like a completely different game, and that's certainly a cool idea. I think it's just, maybe it's just been so long since I've played Subnautica, but I think, like, the animations are so much better on the creatures. Like, the production values are so much better, and they're definitely trying to not too much for a survival game, at least where I'm at so far, but they're definitely trying to rope in a little bit more of a story. Like, you're Robin and you're investigating your lost sister and all that stuff, and so every once in a while she'll, like, say something, like, she'll collect a resource and be like, oh, she'll be able to use this. So, like, trying to inject a little more personality into it, but I think just having that 
Arctic environment. Like obviously Subnautica uh, hit an audience uh, that were just amazed by how terrifying it turns out it is to swim around in the ocean when there's big creatures. And at least in this early section of the game, I haven't found anything huge yet, but there's like a new layer of fear in this game, which is swimming deep under the cold water, running out of oxygen, swimming up to the surface, and then you come up underneath just like a big plate of ice above you, and it is the worst feeling. And it's not like they're huge. It's not going to be an inconvenience thing, which is like this new scary thing. Like, oh, this is something I lose sleep about in real life, and now I get to experience this in Subnautica is running out of oxygen because my head cannot crack the surface of the waters. Oh, it's terrifying. So it's like when you're swimming and you need to surface in a pool and you hit someone who's like sitting on a flotation what? device. Like, <laughs> the it's worst like the most thing. terrifying thing. <laughs> I'd rather be lit on fire than that ever happened to me. Hand to God. Hand to God. Um, so Leah, you're not enjoying it so much so far? Or where are you at? No, it's cool. I'm just enjoying it as much as I enjoyed the first one, you know? I'm right. kind of waiting to get to that new stuff. But that early survival loop is still super solid. I just love when I can tell the creators of a game play a lot of that type of game and like know how to make it feel smooth and exciting, make it feel like you're doing the discovering and it's your idea to be building these things, even though it's kind of the same early loops for everybody, but it's like, they're not walking me through it. I'm doing my investigation through these menus and quickly finding out the relevant information. And I also need to shout out the audio logs that you collect and you can read or you press play and close the menu and you listen to them be read to you while you're playing. Why doesn't every game with like documents like that have that feature? It's so good. And on PlayStation 5, uh, because it's going 1.0 on on PC uh, this week. And then also uh, it's releasing, I think, on every console. But on PS5, uh, it all comes through the speaker on the controller, of course. Uh, If you really are keen on that feature, you got a little extra (laughs) something there. And it's running running really well on PS5. I remember like the last-gen version of Subnautica was a little bit rough on consoles. Maybe they eventually patch it up in a big way, but playing at PS5, I don't feel like I'm missing out. And I think the, the UI works surprisingly well for, for consoles so far. But yeah, you're right, Leo. It is like being reminded of like, oh, that's right, the Subnautica loop. Okay, I've been playing a lot of Valheim and it's like definitely still in that vein of like, okay, that's right. I'm just remembering how Subnautica did it here and it's still super effective. Uh, Jeff, did you get a chance to check it out yet? I haven't. It was it was still downloading. Mm, that's fine. Mm. Um, there's no co-op. But in the future future episode i'll weigh in with my watery thoughts oh cool uh and there's no blub blub. there's no co-op in it yet uh and so they'll probably be saving that for whatever subnautica 2 is just to get back to the franchise discussion or something but uh still very cool it's available on steam and everything there and it's just like i remember loving that first game for feeling new things while playing a game. And specifically, this is such a weird, specific thing, but in Subnautica back from 2018, like that feeling of building up that base underwater, but before you had it like powered up and it was just like this dark, weird, hollow metal shell on the bottom of the ocean, it was like the coolest, weirdest feeling of just running out of oxygen and then just (gasps) emerging in like this dark container at the bottom of the ocean where you could breathe for a little bit again. It's like, I've never felt this weird sense of relief in a game. And like, it's to a much smaller degree, but it's not a couple of zero. It is just such a strangely, I'm sorry, visceral game. And it's so cool to have like the Arctic environment where it's super cold when you're on land, but the water is a little bit warmer. (laughs) And so weird to be like, okay, I'm seeing my temperature dropping now, but I know if I jump into that icy water, 
it'll actually sustain me. And so like being able to look at water in a cold environment as like a positive instead of a negative in a game is a really weird emotion that I'm strangely enjoying. But, and I do love, you know, you're always going in and out of the water to get your oxygen back. And it's like, when I come up, sometimes there's a meteor shower going on. Sometimes there's a crazy ice storm. Like the way that the surface is so inhospitable and you're like constantly being reminded of that is a very cool feeling. Yeah, for sure. Um, Jeff, did you get a chance to check out that Nintendo Game Builder Garage thingy? I saw the I saw the video for it. Yeah, and I was like, "What is this? And what is it? It it seems like Nintendo's uh, attempt to do a visual scripting kind of platform to make your own games through." Yeah, um, you could see it as Nintendo's dreams, or you could see it as kind of the evolution of. Mario Maker, WarioWare DIY, or you know Mario Maker One and Two, I guess. I know you used Dreams, but I mean the real stand-in here is Roblox, honestly. Yeah. Hmm. I really don't know yeah, Roblox that so. well at all. I mean, I, Nintendo is not one to look at the, what the competition is doing and try to counter necessarily. I mean, they certainly have, but I mean, whether intentional or not, I think it is kind of a response to the popularity of Roblox. I mean, that's that's everything for kids now, and that is. A programming tool if you can access those tools which is difficult and this i think is going to have that sort of nintendo intuitiveness that's going to make it a lot more accessible i i hope i i'm really excited for it just as a dad you know to like give it to my kid and see what she can do with it and this is this kind of more of that unified aesthetic like roblox is or can you make it look super different from anything else the way you can in dreams it I seems don't, we, I don't think we know that yet i mean unless you know more hansen i mean i don't know more but what they've shown it seems pretty different for what you can make you can make 3d stuff you can make 2d stuff like they ha- they explain on the site that they have like a set of what seven different tutorials to teach you to make different games it's like okay here's a racing game or here's like a multiplayer tag game and stuff and that one is 2d and so it seems like the range is there i don't know if it's yeah full dreams-esque but the the first couple of videos looked very or you know the first couple minutes of the video looked like it it was all very platformer focused and it it all looked very similar but then they then they kind of they they do like the okay here's step one here's step two here's step 10 or whatever and and they showed a bunch of different ones and they all looked very aesthetically different and very different like when i was first watching i was like okay this kind of it almost seems mario maker-esque with a little bit more freedom but then when they showed that i was like okay no this is like this seems like a full you know visual scripting nintendo's attempt and you you mentioned roblox uh kyle but it it i mean i can also see just like the people around Nintendo sitting around thinking like, how do we get, how do we give kids the ability to make their own games? Like that, that seems like such a natural thing for game designers to want to do and to try and offer those tools to kids. And I, I do wonder if, you know, like Nintendo, if anyone can pull it off, Nintendo would be the ones, but can they make it simpler than, you know, Game Maker, which is a, a long running platform for doing that dreams, which did a very good job of of making that simpler but it's still you know there's there's a real learning curve there i wonder if nintendo can do it and if seven tutorials is going to be enough like how far down the path is that going to get kids yeah i don't know or adults because it, it seems appealing to me too it seems like something you have to really learn from other places attempts at it like what dreams got wrong which i think 
was not having enough tutorials early on, I think was a big part of it. Like people who are making incredible stuff in dreams were like figuring out how to do it themselves at yeah. the start anyway. And I think Nintendo is notoriously bad at that, like notoriously bad at s- improving on what other people are doing versus just doing like a crazy new cool thing themselves, which is the yeah. only thing that gives me pause about this. Yeah. Something that yeah, they're the doing trick is going to be getting kids like interested in doing a tutorial. You know what I mean? Which like weirdly one of the really good ones I found was a uh, Mario Maker 3DS specifically hmm. had like like really specific characters and like really explained about the idea of making a fun game more than focusing on the mechanics of like all right put this block here put this block here it was more like put this block here and this is why it'll be this is why it will be fun for the player and I'm hoping that I'm thinking that they can they can hope do that kind of approach here, I hope, you know. So they have uh, the mascots in the game called Nodons, which are like the little quirky nodes and stuff like that. And so maybe that'll be charming enough to lure the kids to the entire tutorial. But who knows? Also, crazy thing is they're allowing mouse support for it. So you can just plug in a USB mouse oh. to your Switch, which is... Like USB-C? Uh, oh, I guess, I guess there's the USB ports. Yeah. Oh, that is bizarre. I didn't know that. That's really cool and yeah. weird. It's super weird, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see, like, because this game is coming out for 30 bucks on June 11th, 2021. And so I'm very curious to see, like, what the PC launch of Dreams looks like, if that's going to be after that, if this in any way could That thing eat. that you've been talking about for <laughs> three years It's, now? it's <laughs> assuredly happening, but I don't know if it could be happening before June 11th. And so it's not... Yeah. I mean, Dreams is so much more fully featured than this, but I wonder if it's going to be like this whole new wave of like, hey, DIY, make stuff. Isn't this fun? And then it's like a month later, how about you do it with a mouse on PC with Dreams? And people are going to be like, ah, we're good, Dreams. We saw you a couple years ago. We're fine. The always, the, the, the sort of impossible bummer of this and Dreams is that like there are super solid free versions of this kind of stuff that people have access to. Roblox is one of them. You know what I mean? Like, so that's going to be the tough thing is like, will people, I, you know what I mean? Like dreams and this game too. It's like my, I, I know I, I always talk about my kid, but like she plays Roblox because it's free and then her friends access it for free and then yeah. they can all work together and make stuff for free. But like, I will get this from my daughter happily, but she is going to immediately run into that thing where she's not going to have a lot of friends who are also have it. So there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for collaboration and they're just going to jump back over to Roblox. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've gotten into Roblox recently on stream and I've been blown away by that game. Like I've, there's a perfect, (laughs) not perfect, but an unbelievably good mirror's edge game in there. First person, (laughs) same parkour controls, a skill tree, the stuff people are making in Roblox is really incredible. Leo, help me out. I just wish it looked nicer. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> it, does it feel like... God, I'm sounding very old and dumb, and I apologize. Um, what was that game that was like the Half-Life mod? Was it just called Gary's Mod? Gary's Mod. It's like the standalone thing? It, does it feel like kind of the, those old days of Gary's Mod, like digging through? In a way, but games can be more distinct and you are in them in five seconds versus Gary's Mod was like 45 minutes of downloading every time. I don't know if it still is. Maybe it's just I played it when I was younger and had worse internet, but it is so much more accessible than that for sure. Is it fun or is it ironic fun? 
little bit of both. Oh, our favorite mixture. You know, you act like it's ironic, and then, whoops, I've been playing this game where I'm a worm that eats food for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I've prestiged eight times. Yeah, that You could have downloaded one Gary's mod in that time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, Nintendo Game Builder Garage, uh, they say on their site that exchange codes with friends to download their games and share your own. Check out the programming behind downloaded games, which I do love that That's you can cool. unpack everything you if download. They, if they can integrate mm. some like borderline free stuff where like you can share stuff you make with other people without an expenditure. I don't know how feasible that is or how much Nintendo would want to pursue that. I mean, there could be something really cool there. I, I'm really excited for it. I think I think it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I bet I you'd mean, have to own the game to actually download these. But yeah, I think yeah. that would be a smart evolution of it if, if they wanted to jump ahead. But does that mean that they're not going to just have like a shared you can browse the you know the communal pot of everything that people made? I don't know. I don't know yet. We'll see how it goes. But that's Game Builder Garage there. Leo? What's that sound? Oh my god, I'd recognize that anywhere. That's right, everybody. It's Rainmaker. This week, MinMax is once again supported by our friends at Rainmaker.gg. Rainmaker is the all-in-one platform for streamers, developers, and publishers. If you're a streamer, Rainmaker gives you insight on your channel's performance and a full suite of streaming tools, including overlays, tipping services, chatbots, alerts, and more. Plus, get access to game keys from the world's best AAA and indie publishers. This week, check out key campaigns like Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion from Snoozy Kazoo and Graffiti Games. For devs and publishers, Rainmaker provides powerful tools that help you analyze game performance and discover creators on the world's biggest streaming platforms. And when it's time to get your game out there, Rainmaker's campaigns feature makes it simple to put keys into the hands of thousands of content creators across the globe. So head to rainmaker.gg minmax, or you can hit the link in the episode's description to get started. Thanks, Rainmaker. Also, thanks to the fine folks over at Fixture Gaming, for sending over a fixture S1. Kyle, have you seen this? No, I don't know what this is. Isn't this funky? So it's oh, a mount. Yeah, no, I, I, I've heard you talk about this. That, that, that is cool. I'm into that, yeah. Yeah, so what it is, is you take your uh, Nintendo Switch Pro Controller, and it is a mount that you connect to it, very easy to connect to it, and then you just slide in your Switch, and so you can play on the go with the Pro Controller and still have the screen ready to go, and it's like, it's adjustable, it's nice and smooth, it's not overwhelming, but it's so nice to see companies like Fixture Gaming realize that like people like the Switch, but people are kind of sick of holding onto those Joy-Cons on the side. So how can we make the most comfortable version of this? And so God bless third-party peripherals, but it's a very cool idea and I've been enjoying it quite a bit. They want you to know that the Fixture S1 is available on Amazon and the Fixture Gaming website. It's available in gray and red slash blue. And you get $5 off on their site if you use the promo code MINMAX. Promo code MINMAX for $5 off on their site. So please check that out. There's a link below that you can follow to learn more about it. And they are very generous and they're giving one away to somebody in the MINMAX community. So if you share this episode of the MINMAX Show podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and use the hashtag MINMAXFIXTURE, MinMax Fixture and share this episode of the podcast, uh, you will automatically be in the running for a Fixture S1. Um, Jeff, do you like video games? Be honest. Ooh. 
Well, there you go. There's at least one that's close to your heart, probably, from an impactful, specific moment in your life. And that is what this podcast is all about. It is called Call Me By Your Game. Call Me By Your Game is a podcast that dives into these impactful experiences. It's an intimate look at what makes video games special for different people. On each episode, our host, Connor McCabe, sits down with a guest to discuss a special game from their past. They dive into what the guest loved about the game and also what was memorable about the time in their life when they first fell in love with it. The guests are the heartbeat of the show, from Hollywood buds such as writer of the Animaniacs, Reka Shang an actor from Veep and Scott Pilgrim versus the world, Nelson Franklin. I listened to that episode, by the way, and it's just that, that actor that we all, you know Nelson Franklin. Google his face and it'll be like, okay, Nelson Franklin, got it. But it's him just talking about World of Warcraft for an hour. It's great. Um, anyways, to games industry people like IGN's Nick's, uh, I'm sorry, Leo, are you having the reaction right now? I recognize Nelson Franklin. Okay, thank you. Uh, to games yeah, industry- a new girl good role in New Girl as well. Okay, great. Uh, IGN's Nick Limone and voice actor of Aphrodite and Dusa from Hades, Courtney Venez. Connor interviews a litany of wonderful friends with unique experiences. So you can check us out wherever you get podcasts and maybe someday you'll call me by your game. Uh, the new episode's all about Pokemon Snap too. So check that out. Thanks for the support. We like supporting independent podcasts. Also, thanks to our friends at I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know that Disco Elysium, the Final Cut Collector's Edition, is available in the wonderful online store from I Am 8-Bit. It is the PlayStation 5 version. It comes with a fabric map and an art book. And the art book is 190 plus pages, hardbound, featuring oodles of previously unreleased art and stories. And also comes with a hand-painted Mind Totem vinyl sculpture and that sweet illustrated fabric map. So check that out in I Am 8-Bit's wonderful online store. You can use the promo code Tax day. Tax day, all one word, for 10% off everything one, under $100 in I'm 8-Bit's online store. And because they're so generous, every single week, I'm 8-Bit ships out a prize from their store to a member of the next community, somebody who supports us on Patreon and leaves a wonderful comment or question for us to read on the show. So we will go through all these wonderful community questions, pick our number one favorite community question, and that person will win the Lion King Legacy Cartridge which is a very cool legacy cartridge available in IM8 Bits online store. Mm, so what platform, do you know? I believe it's Super it Nintendo. Nice. Yes, Super Nintendo cartridge for my IM8 Bit for The Lion King. Um you all have been great. But I think it's time to meet some new folks. Um does anybody yeah. have anything else they want to say before they're clapped out of existence? I knew this was going to happen. Did you? Yeah. As soon as I mentioned that fans think the Sonic games are good, I saw it in your eyes, and he was like, I'm getting kicked off. Yeah, they rolled really hard. Jeff, do you have anything to say before you're zapped out? So long! Okay, and Kyle? Yeah, let's do another Returnal segment. Still loving it. Mm. Uh, Beat the fourth boss last night. I can walk on lava now. So good. So good, you guys. Great. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, We'll see you again soon, but get ready for fun community questions. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) They're here, everybody. They're here. The second clap. We're not used to that. Uh, We have Dan Reichert here. Hi, that's me. I've been on here before. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, We have Mike Mahardy, who I think has been on here before as well. Yeah, I did a couple of uh, Deepest Dives. That's right. Yeah, for sure. For the thing. And then we have Mary Kish. Welcome back, Mary. I've also been here for the thing. That's true. Okay, you've all been here separately in different ways, and now you're all here as one unit, one just organism. You've become the thing in a way because now you're a hot podcasting team. We're legally and- binded by law. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes, hot podcasting team LLC is the, the name of the corporation we formed. 
Uh, congratulations on Fire Escape Cast. Seems to be going well so far. Yeah, yeah, going really well. Uh, more so, like I think we knew that people were going to like it and be into it, but like we all kind of the same of... exact thing, and you call me a douchebag. Don't make us look like <laughs> maniacs, Mike. <laughs> me and Dan have this uh, interrupting each other's intros uh, pattern down That's really right. well. I've heard, anyway, I continue. always forget everything the, the nanosecond we say it, so I forgot that we already did that bit. But yes, <laughs> but yes, it's going very well. Nice, uh, Mike. Have you been surprised by any reaction so far out there? Uh, yeah, I just, I think more people are listening to it than I expected. Like Dan said, we knew there'd be a subset of people who we hang out with a lot uh, between our shows on like Knievel or Dan's streams or just our past stuff. But it's been a lot of people come out of the woodwork to support it in any different ways, whether it's just like positive comments or, you know, like supporting us. It's been great. Yeah. I saw, uh, Bob Buell from the MinMax community. He's watching us live. Uh, he noticed, I think, I don't know if he was the only keen observer that noticed that you were like... <laughs> falling over yourself in the background on the last episode or something oh yeah oh uh, yes. i was debating whether to take that out but some i don't know if mary and den didn't you didn't hear it or you just like no showed it i no, like we were in the middle of talking yeah we were in there's the a, zone we don't like a, listen to every little thing that happens to you mike no there's a small step up into my kitchen uh and i slammed my foot on it and i didn't really cut out my excruciating like curse when i did it it was, I was getting like a beer really quick or something. Yeah, it was jarring as a listener because it clearly was Mike yelling out in pain and Mary and Dan yes. just kept on rolling with no acknowledgement. I never heard it until Bianca, like you came back from a walk and she's like, Did, there's that weird part where Mike like sounds like he's in pain. I was like, what are you talking about? And she played it for me. She's like, that doesn't ring a bell at all. It was not. It hurt actually quite a lot. I, <laughs> I thought I broke my toe. <laughs> it was loud in the replay when I listened to the tweet. I was like, that is substantial. I have no memory of you making any noises at all. It's a blur. There's a lot to take in. The podcasts are long. Your brain's going a thousand different directions. True. I totally get it. Yeah. Mary, are you eating something? <laughs> <laughs> you know you're not allowed to eat on this podcast. That's the first thing he said when he asked us to be on MinMax. What the are hell you are you doing? Trough? You bent down like <laughs> to your table to eat that. Bobbing for apples? <laughs> well, I was trying to hide it. Yeah, then you come up with like mayonnaise all over your <laughs> <laughs> the cool job. mayonnaise job. trough right in front of the monitor <laughs> hey you know what you Sorry. take as much time as you want to eat Mary that's totally fine because we we are a professional outlet yeah, at that's Fire right. Escape that's why you're number one on those charts baby Woo! yeah you don't yeah. get to number one by eating normal meals out of off plates that's what we always say <laughs> I'm hungry it's fine we're not judging I just need to tell you that you have just a wad of mayonnaise on the side of your mouth though it's going to be very distracting <laughs> okay hey we're here to answer some uh, questions from the MinMax community uh, they submitted a lot of very very smart questions and we'll get through them all and Dan your job is to okay. remember your number one favorite question because that person wins uh, a Lion King legacy cartridge for the Super Nintendo from I'm 8-Bit. So it's a huge Ooh. deal. Whoa. So pay attention, please. That's, that's really cool. Okay, I'll, I'll remember. Okay. You're like the Drake from Seinfeld. When we come to your parties, you assign everybody jobs. Mm-hmm. No one gets that? Okay. Hey, guess what, everybody? Tabor R wrote in. Uh, they say, hey, people, <laughs> uh, game date, colon, oh, so we're all in a date. Tabor, I lost your lore already. Okay, anyways, game date, he says. You need to introduce yourself in five games. It doesn't need to be your favorite, but more influential ones from your gaming history, which helped you define who you are today. If anyone who you talk to can relate to or knows them, you instantly feel a bond happening. 
for Tabor here, uh, it's Transport Tycoon, LucasArts Outlaws, Baldur's Gate, Free Space, and Counter-Strike 1.6. Could you hang out with Tabor, Dan? I don't think there's a... The Venn diagram isn't very overlapping with a lot of that. That's tough, yeah, but undoubtedly cool. Which tycoon was it? Transport Tycoon. Oh. Yeah. That's such a specific type of tycoon. (laughs) I know. Yeah, they're they're very advanced. Um, Specifically a boring one. (laughs) (laughs) They got all these tycoons. There's like... There's ones with the zoo. There's a dinosaur tycoon. Yeah, fun stuff. What about basic transportation? Sign me up. Uh, Mary, yeah, okay. Introducing yourself in five games. Maybe people don't know who you are yet. They don't know your voice. This is your chance to introduce yourself to the world. Okay. I've thought about this. I did put a little bit of thought into this, and here they are. Silent Hill, Mm. Resident Evil, Gears of War, Left 4 Dead, and Hollow Knight. See, what's weird, Mary, is you're like a really bubbly person, as far as I know, and that, those five would be strangely dark and kind of concerning. They bring me joy. Okay. I think that they each say something else about me in my Venn diagram, which is that I like um, older, scary games. Um, Gears is like an action fun game that I enjoy and some shooty stuff and online left for dead playing with friends and hollow Knight to keep Dan away. Mm. Come on now. That's really smart. Yeah. All right, Dan, top it with five games. Can I do six? I can't decide. You cannot Uh, do six. It is very clear, Dan. I can't decide. Okay, fine. Uh, Super Mario world, a link to the past, metal Gear solid Two, command and conquer red alert Two. And Twisted Metal 2. Um, yeah, the judges say that's no good, Dan. Uh, Mike Mahardy, what do you got, man? Uh, I'll go Majora's Mask. Mm. Red Alert 2, I'll also take Red mm. Alert 2, apologies. Um, Resident Evil Remake 1. I will also go with the Battle for Middle Earth 2, specifically with the Witch King expansion. Come on, what are we doing? Yeah, And ooh, what's number five? For number five, I'll go Ratchet and Clank going Commando. Ooh. Nice. nice. That is the beloved one. What is it about that one that makes everybody go gaga? So my favorite one used to be Up Your Arsenal, the third. Yeah. But going back to them with that what HD collection. What a brilliant name, by the way. Yeah. Like sidebar. Yeah. Going back to them with that HD collection, uh, Up Your Arsenal felt way too segmented and less like an adventure where you're like different. Play- going Commando was the last one that really retained the planet hopping platforming uh three what did way less platforming and it was way more about the combat scenarios and the gun upgrades and everything still a very good game but i like going yeah. commando the most gotcha uh for me i think i'd go age mythology paper mario frequency stanley parable oh because i'm very sophisticated and fun uh and then uh, sunset riders i guess for for mm. five that's kind of the the spread so please take us on a second date, Tabor. We beg of you. Uh, another if I had six, it would be Mike Tyson's punch. Okay, oh Dan, now God. we gotta cut this whole section from the I podcast, you man. Can stop me. It's live, Jesus Christ, <laughs> unusable stuff. Uh, another, it. I don't like Dan screaming. I got it in. Ever. <laughs> another robot writes in and they say, uh, "I was listening to the second episode of the Fire Escape Cast on my walk to work. As I was entering a more populated area of my walk, I get to the Pikachu butt portion of the cast. 
Is this what y'all are up to? And start hysterically laughing with tears streaming down my face, soaking my mask. I nearly fall to my knees from being incredibly fatigued following my first vaccine dose. Those were a significant oh, couple of minutes for me. It picked me up and helped me to level out my rapidly declining emotional state. So thank you for that. Hmm. Oh, hey, good job, I'm everybody. I'm glad to hear that. I really did. It. We, we, we try to be, uh, I don't think we have to try too hard to be, uh, you know, levity and, and, and fun. I think that's just kind of, <laughs> we're not the like super duper serious games people. Uh-huh. And so I, I like hearing feedback like we that. We don't have to try too hard to be levity. <laughs> <laughs> or smart talk. We don't have to try too hard to be vocabulary either. It just kind of flows. Yeah, Again, good. Yeah. We're more dewy than talky. We just kind oh, of yeah. like let it happen here. But I think it's fun because that was a real organic experience where I was trying to explain something poorly. And I think most of it just came from trying to understand whether or not there was a hole. I did tweet a photo of it today. I was confused about the butt hole situation yeah. until you tweeted that photo. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Now, I understand it, now what's going on. Here, the coins in the butt. I get his it. entire life until that conversation. Was <laughs> no, specifically the Pikachu butthole thing. The purse. Yeah, like, but you yeah. don't put the coins in the butthole. That's important. That's where we. Maybe that was don't. like the. Whole, oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I maybe, maybe I didn't understand it. <laughs> you can fit. You can fit a lot in that. <laughs> you saw a photo, and you're still like, "That's a butthole. It's on its back." Oh, okay. Okay. I don't think y'all are like giving enough credit to Mary on that podcast for her really getting behind the best idea ever for talking about going to Cedar Point. Like I have wanted to go to Cedar Point and go on those roller coasters for like the last 10 years. I feel like that's been on the docket of like at some point I need to make that drive out there because it's the roller coaster capital of the world or so they say. Wow. I got to go there. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to her. Fire escape meet up. Ooh, yeah, that'd be fun. I think all games media, if we're not going to do an E3, let's do a coaster showdown and we'll all ride as many as possible, review them and <laughs> see what happens. That's as Record far as the idea is. Record yeah. podcast while on the roller coaster. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> it's just nothing but wind noise for two hours. And well, we did it. <laughs> because 40 minutes of it will be in line where we're actually talking yeah. about games. Mm. All of a sudden you'll be on the Superman and you'll just be like... <sighs> <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil, my game of the year. <laughs> they let Drew, you? Drew Scanlon made the audio work when we did the thing with That's Jeff. That's true. I just rewatched that. That's still amazing that it was pulled off technically. Yeah, you killed it. That's absurd. There are no security concerns. They wouldn't stop you if they saw you had like some sort of. I guess you could use a lav. That sound like shit, wouldn't you it? Just gotta talk to people ahead of time, and they'll they'll say, "Yeah, go for it." Yeah, just talk just to need people. Need a dead like, cat over it. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and a dead cat is the term, not an actual dead cat. Um, Dan, I still think the greatest catastrophe from your time living in Minnesota was that we didn't find time to go to the Wisconsin Dells because up when there, you went there and you were telling me about it. I was like, oh, shit, that sounds amazing. I would have loved that. It is the best. It's in Wisconsin. It's like, what, three hours, three and a half hours of a drive from That's the cities. Nothing. And it's like the water park capital of America. Uh. It is unbelievably fun it is just like all the insanity and stupid crap from vegas except packed down into this town filled with water parks and then also it's a town of two thousand people so like parking's great it's never crowded we went to like a laser tag room and it was like just the two of us like my girlfriend and i just like yeah you guess you have the place to yourself it's like this is the greatest place on earth and it's like it's just absurd the amount of stuff there's like a giant king kong statue they have an upside down white house that's life-size it is just an insane place that does not get enough attention for being awesome 
It sounds like a place that, like, when Ren and Stimpy would go into a portal or whatever, this is like the world they would go into, like upside down White Houses and stuff. It feels exactly like a Ren and Stimpy portal. (laughs) Uh, All right. Hey, Marriott Player writes in and says, Oh my God, Min Max Escape Cast. That's it. Uh, What's it like being on so many pods and live streams? How do you prepare for all this stuff day after day, week after week? And how do you deal with having so many happy and adoring fans? My God, you flatter us, Marriott. Um, Yeah, Mary, how do you prepare for. I don't know, being on so many streams and podcasts, is it draining? I think that there are highs and lows to it where you can feel drained if you're doing about four or five a week or something like that. They add up. Um, I think at my max last year, we were streaming easily uh, four four to five days a week plus, you know, doing regular day job. And a lot of it for me is we are graciously lucky that we don't, I don't, you know, I don't have any kids. I have a dog that takes up some time, but I schedule everything out in a calendar. I know to get ready 30 minutes before I know to have a beer ready. I know to uh, eat generally beforehand. (laughs) This was not fair because I had chicken that took time to cook and I'm in mountain time. And did you know that when it's a higher elevation, it takes it's harder and longer to cook stuff. Oh yeah. There's less less oxygen going into the chicken. Thank you. Yes. You're so smart, Dan. Um, It took two hours to bake a potato yesterday. It was nuts. That's absurd. I didn't know that. I didn't know all, either. All my cooking times are off. Everything's off. Everything's off. There's anyway, no the point is, is that you do your best to organize and then the rest of it, I wing. You know, the beauty about streaming and doing the podcast is actually doesn't take much effort. We're just hanging out and talking about well, whatever we want to. And when we're tired, I say, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And I, and I hang up. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get a message about just like, how do you do it? Like, I can't believe you find the time for these podcasts. And it's like that we do the deepest dive, which is like a huge community game club. And that gets a little bit draining when you're on like hour number four of reading comments and stuff but otherwise it's like take the t- to take 30 minutes to talk about the new marvel tv show like it's really not hard everybody but thank you for your concern i almost thought it was i, I noticed it more like when we first started doing stuff at game informer because like we would do like one or two recordings a week and it's like grand a i was new at it at the time but like it's like oh a half hour replay and then like oh a, a quick podcast appearance like they stand out more like now it's been like a decade of me just non-stop podcasting and streaming and all this stuff and it's just kind of i'm used to it i think the thing i struggle with is the little things that come up in between where it's like mm. i get done with a, a two-hour recording and and then I've got a 20 minute window before the next one. And then I see that I got like 19 texts and four Slack messages and all this discord stuff, notifications. And it's like trying to like scramble to get all that stuff before the stream. Cause like when I'm streaming, I can just kind of lock in and be like, this is the thing I'm doing. It's the in-betweens where like all the emails and all the notifications happen. You know, do you feel like um, your streams put you in a certain mood? Like, can you have like a variable mood going in, but then once you hear, start hearing fart sounds for 48 seconds straight and Waluigi, I don't know talking about sex and stuff. I don't know what your Twitch notifications are like. That's, that's what we're doing now. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like Waluigi. Yeah. Uh, sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I totally do experience that because there was a stream like a week or two ago. I remember uh, I was in the, the green room before I came out. The green room was the living room and I just kind of hang out and talk to Bon because I'm waiting for the pre-show to come in, you know? Uh, yeah. And I remember telling her like, ah, I'm feeling like weirdly tired. I just hope I'm able to like kind of get up some energy for the stream or whatever here. And uh, I was super tired until the moment I walked in the room and then I just started like, you know, kind of like monologuing and just perked up immediately and kind of just clicked into that mode. Yeah. Yeah. Same with you, Mike. Yeah, I would say so. You kind of touched on it. It's anytime I have something, most of the streaming or podcasting is usually, uh, after hours. Now for me, my day job is much more like behind the scenes with Polygon and Vox. So 
I it helps to remind myself it's like, well, I might be tired and like not looking forward to it. But once we're live, I'm talking about stuff I love for the most part. Or we're talking about like Death Stranding or Hollow Knight. No, I'm just kidding. I like Hollow Knight. Um, yeah, but it also helps to car- compartmentalize. <laughs> I'm not really I'm not like the best multitasker. So if like stuff like Dan was saying, if stuff like feels like it's piling up between the big things I'm thinking about and I'm like, oh, I have these eight errands to run. Lately, I've tended to like, OK, Wednesday is going to be the day. And it's just it's not always Wednesday, but any given day of the week, I'm like, okay, I'll get all these like ancillary kind of odds and ends done around town or whatever and do tech stuff today and not even worry about not telling anybody I can come on a live stream or anything. So then the next day I'm just full focus, like, okay, I'll be on camera a few times today. Just compartmentalizing has helped over the years rather than just being scattershot every time I go live. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jonathan Finn writes in. He says, hey, cohorts. Well, I guess I'm the only cohort here, but we, we appreciate it, Jonathan. Uh, and asks, what are some of your favorite ways that a game world changes over time? Hyrule's Descent into Ruin from Ocarina of Time is a classic example. And more recently, I loved God of War's, uh, the new God of War and how it revealed more of the world as the world serpent shifted its body and lowered the water yeah. level. That was a really cool idea but yeah changing game worlds what jumps out uh ocarina was the first one that came to mind for me not just because of the the time jump but just the hyrule field like day night cycle thing i remember that's one of the first times i noticed that um but this maybe isn't necessarily world as much but i really love in the arkham games Mm. how batman's suit gets more up over time i love how like you can glance at a screenshot and know generally how far into that game that is you know (laughs) yeah you think he'd like secure the cape a little bit more he couldn't make it out of like bulletproof something because like every adventure just gets torn by the end of the night and that happens to him he's all the got time the cheapest one on amazon he got like a 20 pack so he's <laughs> trying to get through that the yeah. one area he's cheaping it's funny i was thinking of batman the exact same way well a different way though i was thinking about um we just played through arkham asylum for the deepest dive and like that does such a great job of you know a little over halfway i guess when poison ivy like takes over the island and then it's just like a yeah. great way to kind of rework all these environments that you've been through before just have vines busting through everything totally I think Arkham Asylum would have been my number six game, I think. To introduce myself. Cool, man. Can I have seven now, so I'm better than Mike? <laughs> yes, We're you may now. That's, that's good enough. <laughs> my, uh, I was going to say, I don't necessarily think they pull it off completely well, but I do like the idea in Dishonored about how the more people you kill, the more the plague takes over. Yeah. Um, more rats to worry about, but you can also use that against your enemies and just like seeing the world fall more into this epidemic as you're killing more people. Uh, but also really recently without spoiling anything, I think Returnal does some cool stuff with that, um, with mm. new levels and whatnot. Yeah. Interesting. I haven't gotten quite there yet. Uh, Rigoberto Hernandez writes in and says, Hey, me next people. I just rolled credits on Returnal. Oh, uh, and one of the biggest revelations was the DualSense controller. It made the game so much more immersive and it's clear that it is not a gimmick. I wish more games had this feature now. What feature in a console or game do you distinctly remember as being a game changer? Uh, I feel like the Rumble Pack with uh, with Star Fox was a big one. Like having never felt anything like that, and being like, "Oh man, this this seems like this is going to be the new thing going forward." Yeah, yeah, the Rumble thing. I don't. Would you consider DualSense a game changer? Like Rigoberto here, DualSense. Yeah, um, if, if utilized, like I mean, when I played Astro, you know, that obviously is all about utilizing DualSense and all the hardware stuff. Um, but I had that kind of feeling of like this is incredible, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be a game changer because I think it's going to be one of those features that no one except for like first party Sony things is going to use. Yeah, I think I'm I think playing Returnal has kind of got me to the point. Where I'm like, I, I don't know how much more of this I'm excited about. Like, I'm curious about it, but I don't know if I have that 
like wow moment anymore as when I first picked up Asteroid. Like in times, it's kind of just like a little obnoxious in Returnal. And so maybe Ratchet and Clank will kind of be the peak of that and everything will kind of be a downhill slope after that in terms of implementation. Sure. I think the first time I started getting into emulation, like in college, like getting to go back to NES games, like notoriously hard ones like Mega Man or Punch-Out or whatever, and being being able to save state, like, you know, just yeah. like F5, F7, quick load, quick save on these old games that were just brutal, uh, you know, playing them in a, in a whole different way. That was awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I was thinking of just like dual analog on the PlayStation 1. Like the first time I, it must have been like an Ape oh, yeah. Escape demo or something. I was like, well, yeah. this is yep. incredible. When was the first say, time you remember autosave? When was the first time you remember that being a thing? God, good question. You like it had to be before, like you know. I, I think of like Call of Duty Two on three sixty and like checkpoints and stuff like that. But there was definitely autosave in like the PS Two era. But yeah, like, like Halo Combat Evolved had Halo had, had it. But like you know, Metal Gear Two, which came out uh, that same year, you know that you had to manually save always. Yeah, maybe it's Halo. I'm trying to think of something pre Halo. It didn't involve yeah. any kind of manual saving. I was thinking of Halo because that was my first dual analog experience. And the default yeah. controls on the Duke were really bad. They didn't figure out like left stick is your feet, right is your eyes yet. It was kind of like one was strafing and looking. I don't know. It was weird. But I can't think of anything before Halo that might have had an autosave or nothing. Speaking comes of Halo, actually, I just remembered the, uh, the left trigger grenade. Because every other game, like Goldeneye, all these other like console first person shooters, you would have to cycle to the grenade. Like, and, so and who's going to do that? You know, no. versus just oh, tap a button. That's genius. Yeah. Which is funny because then three four three went the Call of Duty route with their left trigger. They went aiming as left trigger grenade. They they went over to like what RB or something. Still a button though, you know. Yeah, for sure. Hey, in the in the realm of things that haven't aged well, do you remember in Perfect Dark where there was that grenade thing that was called the N bomb? Yes. What? It, 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 it was the it was the nuke. No. Yeah, it's like that expanding sphere of dark matter that just kills everybody. Yeah, it goes through walls and stuff. And it's one of those things that, that like stays on you. Yeah, it's like were they trying to be cheeky? Is that just a weird coincidence in the year two thousand? There's don't... actually like no positives that can come from that. If yeah. you're being no. cheeky, you're an idiot. If you didn't pay attention, you're an idiot. In right. all situations, bad. Yeah, I wonder if they changed it actually for the three sixty version. I don't even remember. But um, any anyway, other oh. game changers people can think of? Um, the Nintendo DS had two screens, which I think might have been done before. But what I think is cool is that like anytime you paused um, your or you wanted something out of your pocket and your menu or whatever, um, it had a second screen. So you could simultaneously be in the game, but also then look in your bag and pick stuff up, which was really neat. It's great for the map, too. Like, I still miss it oh. on some on some Wii U games. Like, that was cool just to have the map there at all times. Like Splatoon 2, it's just like, oh, I really miss being able to see the complete overlay down there. Or I think like uh, like Chrono Trigger and like I think they did uh, Final Fantasy Four uh, JRPGs that I played for the first time were so nice uh, to have all the menu stuff on one screen and just see the nice clean game image up top. Oh yeah, it's it's not so much like a feature that was a game changer so much as the console itself, but just like getting a Switch and seeing how well it worked like that first yeah. couple days of Breath of the Wild or whatever I played early on was just like oh shit. okay this is great this is everything yeah. I wanted it to be. Yeah, remember that huge day in our, all of our lives probably the biggest day in all of our lives where they had the reveal trailer for the switch and then it was yep. also like the reveal trailer for red dead redemption 2 right mm -hmm. is it either the oh. first or second trailer i want to say it was the first 
I still remember like laying in bed watching that Switch trailer for the first time. It's like, it was so cool. It's just completely out of the blue. Like, hey, here's this thing, this legendary system you've been hearing rumors about for so long. Here is just footage of it running. It was awesome. Yeah. And cool people on rooftops playing it. Oh my God. The coolest people I've ever seen in my life. That was such a funny concept. It worked though. It was silly, it but we all wanted the ability to play with friendos. And they were like, let's do it with skater people and cool yeah. people underneath the bridge. <laughs> Make sure they look hip. Hell we, yeah. we all tried to play snipper clips for two seconds at a diner and then put it away because the Joy-Cons were really tiny and our food was coming. <laughs> Sir, you need to stop coming here with that switch. <laughs> you can't make that a trailer, Dan. Nobody right, will want true. it. If it's... <laughs> bombed. Tactical Dreamer writes in and says, Hey, fellow humans, do any of you know what all the buttons on your microwave do? I know I personally only use the numbers and maybe three or four other buttons. I think that's high. Um, I don't even use the, the numbers. Oh, really? You just have you like express cook, right? Only start because it has a plus 30 yeah. on it. And so yeah. if I want anything, it's in increments of 30. And if I, it's not in increments of 30, I won't eat it. Yeah, I'm, that's, I do that too. And I'm also just highly distrustful of uh, microwave buttons because every popcorn thing I've uh, read yep. says like, don't, don't trust it. Don't trust it. So I'm very <laughs> wary of buttons on the microwave. Don't you think big popcorn could talk to the microwave people and just say like, stop putting that button on there. You're it giving her universal. There, then there's ones like, oh, shrimp. I don't know. Press this. It's like, I'm not going to press that. I'm going to read the <laughs> shrimp. Box. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> microwave. If you're microwaving shrimp, you have bigger concerns. <laughs> I never eat shrimp. I don't know why I went to shrimp. <laughs> If you do, do not save it and microwave it later. How <laughs> are we going to heat it up, Mike? If Smart you guy? do, use the shrimp button to make sure that it's perfectly cooked. Mm-hmm. Nice and crisp, yeah. yeah. I think I use the the one, the two. I don't know that I microwave many things more than like maybe three sometimes for something like real frozen, but I don't think I use like microwave things for that long. I do a lot of the like Halo Top stuff where it's like 15 seconds just to make it not a block of ice, you know? Mm. Halo Top? You're not familiar with Halo Top? Dude, what is that? Amazing that not everyone knows about the revolutions and ice cream technology in the last few years. Normally, a Ben and Jerry's pint will be like 1,200, 1,400 calories, something nuts like that. Yeah. But ever since Halo Top got real big a few years ago, but now you got your Briar's Delights, you got your Nicks, you got all sorts of different ones, that it's like, sometimes it's like 290 for a whole pint of like peanut butter cup ice cream, and it doesn't taste the exact same, but it's pretty close. It's like a fifth the calories, and like the taste is at a good, you know, Seventy percent, I would say. So the invention is Salenti. Just... I've heard of that. Salenti. I think it's primarily gelato, but they also do like ice cream, like a peanut butter cup. That's really good. I think it's fairly healthy. I don't know. I don't really <laughs> read the label. I, that's what I'm telling myself. It's got a bunch of protein and stuff like a Halo Top. Like, great. I've never heard of this. So the invention is just worse ice cream. <laughs> it's close enough to ice cream at like damn near no calories. Huh. All right. Uh, thank you for informing me, Dan. Uh, Danielle Van Pelt writes in and says, Hey, Ben and the Fire Escape loving cohorts. You got it. Uh, first of all, love, <laughs> love y'all's new podcast. Anyway, I recently finished watching Invincible Season 1 on Amazon Prime, and it was phenomenal. If you haven't watched it, give the first episode a try. After watching it, I couldn't resist buying the full comic run, all 144 issues through three compendiums. What is the last media you read, watched, or played that led you to seeking out more media on that world? Maybe, I mean, it was kind of, it was for MinMax, but reading more about the thing was super fun. Like seeing yeah. all the inspirations with who goes there. Uh, Joseph Campbell, Jonathan Campbell, I forget. Um, like reading the, not even expen- extended universe stuff, just like things surrounding it was super fun. Yeah, my favorite part of that Deepest Dive was reading every The Thing comic book 
because it was just so fun to have a universe where it's like, there's not that much expanded lore. Like you can read every version of the thing storyline just to see like, where have they taken it? And they have like a couple different comic runs and one of them just kind of continues the movie from 82. And it's fun to see like, oh, Childs eventually, I think it's killed by McCready. I forget exactly how they end that. It gets absolutely absurd. Yeah, McCready, there's one comic book where McCready like washes up in Patagonia. Yep. Or like Chile maybe. Yep, yep, yep. And he brings it to this like military compound of rebels and then they all die. Pretty horrifying. But yeah, they just, they just keep doing the thing in new locales. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't opened it yet, Dan, but I don't know. A while ago we watched the Island of Dr. Moreau. Yes. Uh, a stream party thingy. Well, what year was that movie? Was it early nineties? Like party thing. Yeah. It was like a friend night thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I know it's supposed to be a horrific movie, but like I really dug it. And I was like, oh, that's right. Like Island Doctor of Dr. Moreau is really important to the history of like Jurassic Park. Like I should, I should be more familiar with this. So I went and actually bought the book and I'm going to read that soon. This can be my, my quick summer read is actually going through that original book. And I'm very excited about just on oh, nice. a dorky level. Nice. Uh, I'd, oh, I'd say maybe, uh, I watched actually with Mike, um, watched the Godfather for the first time, uh, a few months ago. And I realized I'd never really seen Coppola movies. And so I was like, Oh, maybe he's good at making movies. And so we watched uh, a lot of those and a lot of them are very good. Yeah. turns out time tested. Now your favorite. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Apocalypse Now might be like my favorite movie, um, but Godfather 1 and 2 were incredible. Apocalypse Now, The Conversation. Uh, I feel like I might be missing one or two here, but uh, yeah, they were just big, you know, crime epics and stuff like Godfather. I loved it. Awesome. That's so cool. I My dad was really into Apocalypse Now, and I saw it when I was way too young. Oh, my God. Because um, it's his favorite movie. And I kind of grew up thinking that that was like the ultimate form of cinema, Apocalypse Now. That's probably a good be, frame of mind. Yeah. yeah, that's a good worldview to grow up with. Better than me thinking <laughs> Parent Trap was the apex of cinema. <laughs> I was 13. All these people saying that Paddington is number one, but no. We can all it's agree it's Gruber. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to think of like the movies my parents passed down. I remember in high school, I walked in, I walked in on my father crying. And he was crying oh. to the opening of Snow Dogs, the Cuba Gooding Jr. movie. And Knowing it, your dad makes that funnier to me. He's not <laughs> an emotional guy. And I remember just being like, that dog talking movie where like they all go like, we gotta go, Cuba, rough, rough, whatever the hell happens in Snow Dogs. But now, I like, don't think that Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character's name is Cuba in the movie. <laughs> I haven't seen the full film, just Bold the opening. Move, Cuba. But now, as... As I've gotten older, I like have respected my father more and more because what it was, it was just like a bunch of like aerial shots of mountains in Alaska. And for some reason that just like snapped him and he started crying. I'm like, it's kind of beautiful. I really like that yeah. actually. Yeah. It's no moth flying with its uh, flames All right, its Dan, that's a personal story. <laughs> I guess it's not that personal. Uh, so one time, I was like, oh, I don't, I, you probably remember the story better than I do, Dan, but it's like, my dad was at a cabin with some friends, I think our cabin, um, and there was a moth, a big moth on the door, and they said they couldn't get it to move, and they didn't want to touch it because it was so big and beautiful, and this was at night, and so one of his friends was like, I know how we'll get it to move, I'll just make it a little warm, so he took his lighter and he held it below the moth to like heat it up so it would move, and then the moth burned into flame, like burst into flames and then like flew off into the night is how they described it, and 
believe it or not, they might have been a little bit high, and it just devastated them. I just floored them seeing this. So I'm glad that had an impact on you, Dan. Yeah, well, here's here's a little bit of uh, lore that I'll, I'll tease you with here. Yeah, we uh, we we generally don't edit things on our podcast. We just kind of go. Uh, the one thing we did edit out of the oh, first God. episode was a story that you told me. Oh, uh, I'm no. not going to tell it here. I'm just going to see if you can. Like, oh, this is the worst. Here. I'm just looking at Mary's face. This sounds horrific. Oh. If both Mary Kish and me think something is worth <laughs> editing out, you know it's fucked up. <laughs> you have so much slide, too. I, I wrote the time code and, like, underlined it six times <laughs> during the recording. <laughs> you know what it is, Ben? No, you I guess? don't know what it is. Involved All right. Stop. Okay, Dan. <laughs> We're trying to record a podcast about, it, gonna say about it? video games. <laughs> Hey, we that, cut it out of ours. Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, that We're reminds me. cut it out again. Move on. <laughs> Next ben, question. Hey, you'll never believe it. Brad Grenz wrote in. He says, hey, Min Maximals, in the current discourse surrounding difficulty and returnal, it occurred to me that I've never really cared that much if I personally will be able to complete a game in order to feel like I've had my money's worth. So how important is it to you that you'll be able to finish a game? That. I think it, <laughs> yeah. it, it was when I was... I think when I was younger and I had money to buy like one game every few months, I, it was important to me that I finish games. Even when I started playing more games, I was very, I need to finish every game I touch, even if I don't like it. it when I got old enough, I stopped doing that because I realized it was dumb. But nowadays, like Returnal, I haven't even beat yet and I don't even care if I go back to it. I feel like I've gotten my money's worth out of just getting to the fourth <laughs> biome. Yeah, I think I've just kind of like slogged too through many games just to like say that i finished it at a certain point it's like yeah. it's not it's not worth it everybody I, I i did some of that during like the early like achievement days on 360 and everything but especially like with the jobs i've had over the years when i kind of need to play everything for the most part it's like i've gotten really good at like the second i'm not into a game anymore i'm fine just being like all right i'm, I'm done with that you know or things that i do like a lot like you know i was really really into valheim uh when i when i first started it and i was like oh man i'm gonna put like 100 hours into this thing and i just i didn't stop Liking it, that game is, I would love to go back to that at some point, but other stuff came out and I just kind of feel a certain obligation to kind of keep moving and keep playing everything, you know? I feel like uh, you just need probably a good group for Valheim. Like, because I've been playing it with uh, Grant and Ronnie and like, it's my game of the year. Like, it is just wow. the best. I'm still having a blast with that game. You're going to make me get back to that. You should probably go back to it. <laughs> it's very fun. It is fun. a good game. I, I fell off of that too. We were talking about, I was trying to get everybody to play Raft. Anytime you have like a cool adventure game with other people where you just get to like hang out, craft stuff and go on an adventure together is a joy. Yeah, which is weird because like, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, we're playing a Subnautica below zero and it's like, oh, I love Subnautica. It's so cool to return to this. And at the same time, it's like, I kind of want my friends with me. Like it feels so lacking mm -hmm. after you've had so many co-op survival experiences here. That's the um, same reason, like, I won't get into, like, MOBA or anything like that, because it's like, well, with something like that, you have to, like, go all the way in and play 8,000 hours of it, and it's like, I just, I want to play other games, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Oren Eccles writes in, says, which personality labels do you all believe less in? Myers-Briggs test results or astrology signs? Astrology, astrology is complete horseshit. Yeah. What, what is Myers-Briggs? Uh, that's that's the, like ENFT or whatever, you know, like you, you take the test and it's like extrovert or introvert. And then uh, I don't know. No, I don't know what the N is, but it's the four letters. NFT. But it's, 
it's based on nothing. It has no scientific backing or research. Like so 50 you, questions that you can answer. hundred percent. It's yeah. made by like some dude who read a book once and was like, I understand all people and I can figure you out if you just answer whether or not you're a toast guy in the morning. And I think that's <laughs> bullshit. At least astrology's fun. At least sometimes you can be like, oh man, that guy's like definitely a Pisces. Like that's funny. You're you don't fucking do that with that other guy. Let's bang. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is way more bullshit to be like, I'm sad because Mercury is in retrograde. Like, that's just weird. <laughs> but what? It, no, you're sad because stuff's happening. I wonder if it's like, I think, I don't know how literal astrology people are, though. Like, I think oh, they, they are. I, there's, I, a a, there's a gradient. There's I, a gradient. There's a gradient. And it's like, it's, 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 do that shit for fun while they drink on a Friday night. Right. Yeah, exactly. Some people are literally like, oh, Jupiter's looking extra red today. I don't know. This is going to be a rough day. But I, I, I think they believe it. But at the same time, if it's like, do you really believe that because the sun rose on your birthday in this area that that yes. actually some people do yes there, i've seen twitter feeds that are like mostly that there are people who are crazy with that with the briggs thing too though and they'll be like oh yeah because you answered this question you're an introvert and you'll actually never become a ceo of a major corporation because your brain can't handle it it's like both of them but one of them is like funny right one of them like is a joke. I think I, both of them are, you shouldn't take seriously, but one of them makes me laugh. And the other one is like scary and probably like harms people in their life. Yeah. Like actually they probably both harm people. Now I think horoscopes <laughs> most in on the little, the TVs on the subway. Well, I used to see that's where like, they always said the horoscopes every day or at least um, on my subway. I grew up in a time where like, we definitely had magazines that you would get um, that had like beauty stuff in it and mm. clothes at the end, always at any like girl magazine, it would have the horoscope section and it would tell you what your month was about to be. And it would just be like, all right, let's get ready. And it would just be like, your month is going to suck. It's going to be the worst <laughs> month you've ever had in your life. Gear up, batten the hatches. It's going to be bad. Now you ready? Go, oh, you ready? You ready? Dick? You ready for November? <laughs> I'm 14. You, wanna, you, wanna, you, wanna you wanna do this? Are you, are you coming at November right now? Do you have any idea what you're coming up against? November's going to fucking flatten you, you little dick. <laughs> Mercury. It's red. <laughs> you know what's also horseshit, but if someone's good at it, it can be kind of amazing. Is uh, So we went to New Orleans for our honeymoon, and me and Bianca had like a, a, a palm reader thing. You know, mm. we was like it, it, near Bourbon Street, they have those. And that's obviously horseshit. Like, there's no way that means anything. But you get a good one who I don't know if they're just doing cold reading or something, but... Uh, it was incredible. Like we both kind of walked away from that. Like, wow, that actually seemed pretty specific. And like, I think we expected it to be more speaking generalities that like, Oh, anybody could take something out of this. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they were like, Oh no, you're going to go back to your video game job and you're going to do this. And it wasn't like that, but you know, it was like pretty specific. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably just recognize you from your stream. <laughs> blown up. Oh my God. It's Dan Riker. I'm going to pretend I don't know him. Hello, sir. What's your name? What do you do for a living? Okay, cool. That's why they kept trying to pay me to fart. The farts will be rolling in soon. I don't know what that means. That's just what the auras are telling I me. I keep saying the name McGruber. I don't know if you know this man. Father, you'll, you'll grandfather, keep, unclear. You'll keep your bod pretty tight over the next few months? What? I don't know. That's what the ghosts are telling me. You're not a full ice cream man. I can see it. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Dan writes in and says, I'm currently playing through Resident Evil Village and I'm loving it and I'm way more scared than any of the Resident Evil games besides seven. What oh. sequences and games had you terrified because of the atmosphere or level design? Wait, I, uh, never mind. Um, no. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say specifics. I'm going to say a couple things here. Keep On it the fire escape. What's that? Oh, okay. 
I'm going to be careful. Uh, on the latest Fire Escape, I was kind of earlier on in Resident Evil Village, and I was like kind of enjoying it, but I wasn't totally sold on it. The stuff I played afterwards, my tune is going to be different on the next one, and I will say, in generalities, there is a part of Village that is the most I have ever felt a, like, I need to get out of this place this yeah. second. Really? Like, you probably know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, yeah. I was just like, I was like, I need to like pause and put the controller down if this is going on for another five seconds. Oh you my know? God. It the, is a lot. Yeah. Okay. We're done, man. But yes, I agree. Um, I, texted, I texted Tim Turry about like just all caps, like the thing that happened. He was like, yes, yeah. that moment. Yeah. Um, I would say it was probably for me the first Outlast. Um, a lot of that game scared the shit out of me, but the moment they kind of did a Resident Evil 7 thing where based on once you learn the layout of the asylum, you realize at one point they're like, oh, the power is not working for the elevator. And you know for a fact that the power is in the basement. So without like telling you you need to go down there, you kind of think to yourself, I need to go into that basement. And I heard noises down there sloshing around in the water. And I did not want to go in that basement. Outlast itself, like the looking over the shoulder while you're running thing did a lot. It's really good. That, for, that was probably the game that scared me the most, like more than Amnesia. I was actually going to use Amnesia for mine, which also uses a basement technique. And that's pretty iconic, right? Because it just plays on a fundamental fear of going down being bad. Um, Amnesia has really scary things happening all while you're on the regular level. And there is this downward stairs with a big door that looks horrible. And it's there. You kind of see it. You walk past it all the time while you're getting things done. You finally get a key to go down there. And it's just like... I don't want to go down here. Like, I don't know what's down here. Before you see anything, before you hear anything, you're upset because you got to go down into the basement. Um, it's just, that game is honestly, was so far ahead of its time with finding a way to actually just scare the crap out of players um, with limited graphics and a limited budget, limited crew. Like, they did it. They They nailed it. Yeah. Speaking of that, Silent Hill. I mean, like the fog was like came from a technical limitation, but it actually super like between that and the radio stuff, like that super heightened attention. Yeah. I also could never do it myself. I had to have my brother go down into the grave in Ocarina to get the song of Sun. <laughs> oh, really? From, because the redead scared the redead scared the shit out of me. Like, oh, oh yeah. Down and there's like a bunch of them in that little room down there. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan brings up. Uh, that there's that sequence in Bioshock Infinite where you see like the alternate version uh, of the future. And it's just like, I just remember, was it like a Benjamin Franklin doll or something like comes out on a wheelchair from behind a pillar? Like that entire sequence was just so yeah. weird. Very spooky. I think that's Which, when the big Mary, jump scare is too. Mary, you were talking about the basement stuff. I just realized, I think I, the whole time you were talking about that basement sequence on the last Firescape cast, I think I had played it. I knew I'm you had. It. I was screaming, listening to it, like, Dan, you've already gone through this. You're talking about things after that. I've, I've been waiting for that basement thing ever since Mary talked about it, and I didn't realize until just now, like, oh, wait, I think I remember that place. The bloody basement. Yeah, yeah. How do you not remember a basement filled with blood, though? <laughs> My memory is... Because when you were explaining, I was like, oh, that does sound cool. I can't wait to see that part. And <laughs> It's confusing. Memory's real bad. Uh, Forest with two <laughs> R's. Uh, Forest with looking, two R's. Oh yeah, Mike. No, 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 sorry. I was gonna say I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Mary play Resident Evil Eight because I think a couple of those parts will wreck her. Oh, it's gonna fun. be fun. Uh, you're gonna be streaming it soon. 
Yeah, um, Mike and I have streamed through every Resident Evil together, so I've stopped playing it so that we can play it um, when I have better internet. I'm at a, I'm in uh, Colorado Springs, so I'm I don't I can't trust this internet. But as soon as I get home, we're gonna do it. Gotcha. Yeah, another thing that's fascinating on the podcast is like. Mary, just based on Twitter, it seems like you're like traveling the country, having wonderful <laughs> adventures. And meanwhile, it's like <laughs> Mike and Dammy, like, let's talk about that one time we watched Rambo together 14 years ago. <laughs> one more time. So it seems like there's other things that are interesting to talk about. More I mean, than Rambo? <laughs> well, I guess that's a good point. They're all adventures. Oh, he went to Vietnam and he came back. <laughs> and shit, the fan. <laughs> When you drop that white claw in your crotch in the movies, that was like your one story. It was a good story, yeah. though. It's good. Yeah. Uh, hey, Forrest with two R. Colorado in the next episode. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Uh, Forrest with two R's writes in. And he says, what would you do if you went outside and there were as many wild animals roaming around as there are in Pokemon? I think that's where I live now. <laughs> <laughs> I found organs in my yard in the first week I lived here. Are you? Organs? Organs like hearts and intestines in my yard. Wait, are you in the set of the Blair Witch? What are you talking about? Like animal things. I, I think it was like a shrike or something. I was uh, looking up a bunch of stuff. I think it's a type of hawk that grabs like rabbits and stuff and then flies up to a tree and like impales them and drops the organs because there was a stick through the heart and the intestines and the intestines were like wrapped around a stick. And so I think, yeah, a hawk just like, rah, like threw a rabbit through a bunch of branches and the organs did the out. hawk like right in here a murderer <laughs> was there a warning a no, warning <laughs> the hawk wrote on a sign and said you're next dan so i'm pretty <laughs> oh, sure I mentioned that part yeah that is another thing that happened yeah. how positive are you that bianca doesn't leave the house at night <laughs> <laughs> oh what is it what, is that blood honey that's cool it's a good look <laughs> blood way to go. Quiet. look yeah so okay so you that means you live in a pokemon world dan <laughs> well there's coyotes i saw some deer the dogs had never seen deer before and gizmo was not a fan of what he saw um there's these two dogs that just wander the neighborhood and so it's like i'll just like look out on my front porch and there's just like a husky and this other dog just like walking around it's there are a ton of animals around here a lot of birds going on i've got numerous ticks on parts of my body it's uh we'll pull yeah. those out quick Oh, yeah, yeah, they're no good. Wait, you got ticks already? Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got some ticks. The dogs have had ticks, too. Razor had a big old tick on his neck. We had to Ooh. give him a new collar and everything. How big are you talking? Uh, what's something, uh, like a kidney bean? Like a, yeah. Holy shit. It was, it was about to burst, yeah, yeah. I, I, there was a spider in the basement uh, today when I went down there. I got, there's lots of stuff going on here. Well, I mean, the, the part that matters for Forrest is, I think, technically, there are as many animals as there are Pokemon, but they're all, like, insects, and they're not, like, weedles and crap. They're just, like, you know, I bet there's more animals out there than the Pokemon world. It's just that they're all so small. It doesn't count. I, I would probably just... I don't know. I don't know if the question's, like, would I, like, start becoming a trainer and capturing them, or... Or would your mind would be, shatter? Yeah. Or would I just go about my day and commute... <laughs> Yeah. And it'd be like like a Bojack situation where the Pokemon just live among us, and we're on the subway, and there's like a there's a slowpoke just like you know spreading his legs too far and taking up three seats. <laughs> I'm trying to get to work. There's a, there's a Snorlax taking up a whole car. 
Um, I'm becoming a bird guy. I'm putting bird feeders outside the windows and I'm learning stuff about like, I can tell the male cardinal apart from a, a female cardinal and they come in pairs all the time. I got this, like, mean, these cardinal couples that damn, stop by. That's like, you hold them like that and make them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got binoculars and I look at hawks and stuff. I, I watched a woodpecker for a bit the other day. It was, now, Dan, it was hang on. This is some pretty advanced stuff. Just for the listeners and viewers, do you want to explain the subtle difference between a male cardinal and a female cardinal? Yes. Because so the male cardinal <laughs> is a bright, brilliant red ah, all I see. over. I see. And then the female one's got red, but it's kind of like there's some brown and stuff going on there. It's not nearly as just uh-huh. like, like, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals logo. That's a male cardinal. Right. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Take notes, everybody. <laughs> we got it. Weird response to that. <laughs> yeah, chuck all these feathers. <laughs> <laughs> Love baseball. Flexing, right? Choke some buds. <laughs> hey, Dan, I'm gonna. Here's a short film I had written down many years ago that I wanted to make, and I still am kind of into it. But we're talking like a five, seven, five out of ten. Here's the pitch. It was like, what if, like, in the future, not too far in the future, near future, let's say the present, that close to the future. They realized that, like, you know, people living in cities, they're too detached. They're too focused on their phones and getting abstract. They need, like, some primal elements of life to make them feel alive. So what if they just released a bunch of grizzlies in, like, a downtown Minneapolis? How are you shooting this? I, I, you'd hire a grizzly guy. I don't know exactly. <laughs> Werner Herzog, he could bring one down. I don't know how it works. That went great for that guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Grizzly man. But wouldn't that be a cool short film where it's just like, or just like that world where it's like, okay, I need to get out to my car, but I know that somewhere in downtown there are several grizzlies. Maybe just one. Maybe it's cooler if it's just one like Jaws. I think it's, uh, the way you start that movie is like the beginning of like a PUBG or something where like a plane is flying over and an Operation Dumbo drops like 10 grizzly bears onto Nicollet <laughs> Avenue in Minneapolis and just see what happens. They're gonna make it after. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's the Mary Tyler <laughs> it immediately. It's the first thing they all attack. <laughs> yes. They hate that show. Third season went off the rails. Rota sucks. <laughs> um, Joshua Lehman writes in and asks, are there any inside... Oh, this is a broad one. Are there any inside jokes or stories from the Game Informer days that Mike, Dan, and Ben could share while Mary <laughs> nods politely? I'm, I will listen. You can do the same thing with GameSpot, too, to, mm. so you're not left out. I, uh, uh, I, I did see this this question and it reminded me of one I've probably told somewhere, but I don't know if all of you have heard it. Uh, there was a time where there's a giant um, there's like a giraffe, a big stuffed giraffe uh, in the office. And then some game came out and had a swag bag type thing that had handcuffs in it and they were real handcuffs. And so since the giraffe, you know, has the, the tiny little neck there and then it's got the well, I guess traditionally a huge neck technically. Um, but then it had the head up here. I put one of the things around the neck and then Hanson was in the middle of editing a video and I uh, just went up and I handcuffed the other end onto him and then moved the key very far away. I'm going to <laughs> show the, the picture. Key. I know this is a podcast, but if you want to show it on the video version, feel free, Ben. Uh-huh. Then that's that's me handcuffed to a oh giraffe God, when I was nine years old, apparently. Uh, <laughs> from the and, and I left for a while. So you had a couple hours of being handcuffed to a giraffe I while actually, you were trying to work? I went on a cover story trip to Montreal, I believe, with oh. the giraffe sitting next to me on the seat. a seat for the giraffe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's probably the highlight of us all working together. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, Mike, we my main memories of you in the office are like, we filmed a couple Wii U things with you, and it's funny to go back and watch those because you look like such a little scared baby. It's yes. Oh, yeah. I, yes. I was miserable. Yeah, yeah, naturally. Um, but I was thinking about this because it's like, 
it feels weird to say, but a part of me feels like we didn't really work together too much, Dan. Like creatively, we've like rarely worked on projects together. It's like I would technically trips. produce like replay, and I guess cover story trips was like the most like. Well, you saved my ass on every cover story trip. I've, I've always told this because like, I never know anything about development or developers or anything. I just play games and say if they're good or not. And so like when I'm supposed to be the writer for this like 12 page cover story uh -huh. and I just want to go sit down and play the game and write about that, you were always the one that would sit down with the cameras and ask a bajillion questions to every developer. And I'd be sitting over there like, oh, I could probably use that for my written article, you know? It seems important. I was just going to walk through exactly like, what like, was... controls feel good shooting fun. <laughs> this company was founded in 1991. Since then, they've released several video games you might have heard of. It was a mixed bag. Created by Cliff Blesskin's key. <laughs> good to know. Yeah, Dan, it, it was always frustrating with you just to be like, well, I don't know what to ask. It's like, ask anything. What are you talking I'm about? I'm not an interviewer. I'm not, I, I never had any idea what to ask. Every time I had to do that, I remember I had to interview Randy Pitchford once for Borderlands 2. <laughs> yeah. And I just wrote down like 10 questions. I think you recorded this, Ben, yep. in Randy's office. The video's office. up on Game Force YouTube channel. I, and they were all like, there was no flow between questions. It was just like, here's 10 questions so I can say I did my job. And I just went from one to the other, asked no follow-up questions because the whole time I'm just trying to save off a panic attack so all that's happening in my head is just like okay there's only three questions left I'm not even hearing what he's saying right and you would just sit there and have the longest conversation with someone and it's like oh god that's so much better and that's when I eventually reached the point where I'm like get out of there you idiot like I'll set up the camera I'll do everything I'll then yes. frame the shot and do the interviews it was a real control freak move but it's like I just need it to do this helped everyone it helped everyone it probably helped you too because like you do so yeah. much like developer interviews and stuff now so I was trying to help out your future career hey thanks man that's really sweet no problem man uh mike you got any memories of you can choose game reformer or GameSpot. i remember game informer i was just very suggestible in general because i was I, I just turned like what 21 and all i thought you guys were like the coolest people in the world that's where my head was at at the time <laughs> and i i remember like when we watched rocky straight through or not straight through we watched what two movies a night for three weeks or something Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think like Ben Reeves had brought over this like novelty bacon maple flavored beer. And I remember thinking it's like, uh, maybe Dan, you had like said you'd give me $10 to chug the whole thing. You do that a lot. You did that recently with the barbecue sauce. The bucket barbecue water. sauce, yeah, yeah. In, in bucket water from the barbecue place. And I remember it was like, well, bucket I have water. to do this. And I remember halfway through this like 24 ounce can of beer, I had to throw up, but like I suppressed it and kept going. Because I couldn't disappoint everybody. But it doesn't, it's not, Ben, the one time that I messed with you that doesn't really translate well to like telling a story after the fact. Yeah. The bottles. But some ex game informer guy had brought in like a bunch of these little like mini like airplane sized bottles of liquor. And I had him lying to my desk thinking like at some point I'm going to be the cool guy and stay late and chuck all these mini bottles of booze. <laughs> so cool. Hell yeah. And, and there was this long hallway to the back bathroom on the third floor where, where you went apparently every afternoon. Thank you. And I knew you were in there. So I started clinking them together like warrior style down the hallway mm -hmm. and making a weird like witch like ee -ee -ee. and I did it like <laughs> the hallway down the hallway into the bathroom but I only opened the door a crack and yeah. kept doing it and then receded back down the hallway and I remember I refused to tell you that it was me for I mean you knew it was me but I still like refused to admit it but I remember yeah. that's the first time I saw you flustered you were you seemed put off by it I don't know if put off is the right word I no that's not true I remember laughing in a crazy way about that because it was the most 
surreal thing of just like being in the bathroom stall doing you know god's business and then i just hear in the distance like <laughs> and like these weird clanking since i had no idea what it was and i'm scared very easily and so my mind went to like it's just like it's like et from hell i don't know what this sound is and it was just that nightmare because it just kept getting closer and closer until eventually the bathroom door opened and i think i remember screaming like get out of here you idiot and then, yeah, you refuse to say it was you later on. But it's a very unnerving feeling to hear something scary and then only hear it navigate closer and closer towards you. <laughs> yeah, while you're vulnerable. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Extremely vulnerable. Uh, but you, you you, guys have... I have stories of Mike and bathroom stuff at GameSpot, which is interesting because we only have... We have two communal bathrooms where, like, there's m- multiple places to go. And then there's one... I iconic bathroom that's one toilet and it's one giant room and it's obviously the most beloved toilet and everyone wanted to go there yeah oh yeah the the executive suite yeah yeah the executive one is the one everybody wants and i remember yes mike i don't even remember this like there was like a time where every time you'd go there someone was in there and they were in there for a really long time and so you just went up and like banged on the door really hard and then walked away Uh, well no i think the reason i did that is because if the door was locked, you could put your hand on the hand. It was one of those like lever handles. People like if you were in there and it was quiet and all of a sudden someone comes up and really tries to open it hard. <laughs> it's so I would get really, really annoyed that people you could rest your hand on it lightly and to test if it's locked and then walk away. You don't need to jar the person inside. <laughs> there was there's two people in the GameSpot office. I'm not going to name names, but there's two people. <laughs> And I knew it was one of them because he kept all of his house and car keys on this like janitor's ring on his belt. So you could hear that jingling away. So one time I I think I had seen him coming toward the bathroom. So I got in there really quick and locked it and was waited for him. So I was like, if he's going to scare me by jiggling the handle real hard, I as soon as I heard the handle move, I opened it right into his face. And I was like, gotcha, mother. It was the wrong person. It was, it, it, was, uh, it was someone from our sales team who I also knew, but was not nearly as close to. God, that bathroom was like a horror show sometimes just with yeah. how it was to get just everybody, it was, wanted, to everybody wanted to go in there. So it was like yeah. the place to be. Uh, it saw the most action for sure. Mm. People would take their time in there and really mess it up. Why? Apparently, someone, some, an ex-game informer person, uh, Chris Waters apparently walked in on another former game informer person. Chris Waters one time went into that bathroom and this person had just ridden their bike to work on a hot day. Oh, I remember that. Apparently they had stripped completely naked in the bathroom and done like standing spread eagle to air off. They were airing their body. The door. So Chris Waters opens the door and there's someone in front of the mirror just doing this like Vitruvian man pose. (laughs) What do you mean? Not in front of like an air dryer, just like standing motionless to dry off. He thought he was alone. He was singing all that she wants is another baby. It was weird. He really was? Oh my God. If it makes you feel any better, I accidentally walked into Chris Waters on the bathroom once many years ago. And it was like, we were both there late working on a project he went up to go to the bathroom. I didn't know which bathroom he used. This was on the third floor. I went to go use the bathroom and I walked in and there he was. And it was just like, I can't, un- I can't undo it. I don't know what oh, no. to say. And I panicked and I repeated that line from the Simpsons where I said, I'm sorry, I saw everything. And then I walked away and shut the door. <laughs> well, he, the way he described it, he said you got like 10 feet into the bathroom before noticing it. Was I was looking time. down. I wasn't yeah. looking at the toilet when I go so in the like, bathroom. She crossed like most of the room. <laughs> I was 
physically in there. Clanking <laughs> bottles. It seemed like a really weird move. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan, every time we got that time, I told anybody the one time that I was on a cover story trip with somebody and I walked in on them taking a big old crap in the bathroom in the hotel. I don't think I heard this. It's really. While I was there, uh, I don't think so. But it was like probably the worst person you could walk into. I uh, think I know who you mean. Well, no, I don't. It was uh, Matt Burtz. It's like, <laughs> oh, not. A, oh, I thought you were going a different route with the. You wouldn't want that going on. No, I don't, I don't know what you're even going for actually. But it was just like one of those like very embarrassing <laughs> moments. Of, like we will just never speak of this again. But it's like early in the morning. It was, it was like, Well, okay, that reminds me. Do you remember when we were in, I think we were in North Carolina for maybe the Fortnite cover in like 2013. Yeah. Uh, where Burtz was there. And do you remember the guy that almost killed you in the hotel? I remember the several of those stories drunk? actually. No. The cartoon you, drunk guy? See, this is some nonsense, Dan. That was in, that was on the Assassin's Creed 3 trip in Montreal and you weren't there. Oh, so you were just telling me this. Yeah. So you, oh, you told, <laughs> Miller, it was Miller. You told you were the okay. You called the guy cartoon drunk, and he hunted you up <laughs> on a different hotel floor. Yeah, we were. But <laughs> car- my memory sucks. Maybe I told cartoon you it drunk. happened while on the North Carolina trip. So what it was is, uh, we were staying in this tiny hotel in Montreal, and we were at the bars till three because the bars closed at three, and then we had to get in a cab to go to the airport to fly out at four in the morning. So we're walking back to the hotel at three in the morning, quite drunk. Uh, and we got in this tiny elevator in this tiny hotel and there was a guy in there who looked like Brick from Borderlands. Is that the guy's name in Borderlands one? Just this yeah, huge yeah. British dude. And he was like, gulp, gulp, like hiccuping in just the most cartoonish way. And I said like, hey, do you have a good night out there? He's like, gulp, yeah, yeah. Gulp. And then he got off on the floor below us. The elevator doors closed. And then when they closed, I leaned over to the guy's. Yeah, they was traveling with Matt Miller and Matt Burtz, and I said, boy, that guy was cartoon drunk. And then I just hear this, bang, 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 bang. Like, the elevator hadn't moved yet. Just the doors had closed, so he heard us, and he was furious. And this is the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. So the elevator went up one more floor, and then I had the full horror movie experience of having, like, an old-fashioned key, because it was, like, this crappy old hotel, putting it in the lock, trying to get it open, <laughs> as I could hear him running up the stairs... I then slammed oh the door. Uh, he burst onto the floor and like, you think hotel, but like it was so small. There were literally like five doors on this floor <laughs> and he just went to each one bang and like, come on out, come on out of there. I'll f***ing kill you. Come on out of there. <laughs> and I like, I have never been more scared in my life. Like all there was is the tiny hotel door and like the little locked thing. And it was just, Praying to God that he did not like pass out and I would have to tiptoe over him to go to the cab in the morning. Um, but I remember just being uh, liquefied out of fear. And then Matt Burtz is like, that's eh, no big deal. The door's closed. It's fine. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's the scariest <laughs> man in the universe. Inches from us right now wanting to kill us. Basically the T-1000 elevator scene. Yes, it really was. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it's just Llewellyn Moss pointing the shotgun at the door, waiting for Trigger to get there. Yes. Maybe that's why that movie's so impactful. It just reminds me of that terrible day in wonderful Montreal. Um, anyways, hey, there's more questions here, probably. Um, Tanner, Tanner Metvin writes in and says, since you brought up long-running series, I put together a little trivia game with some random facts about these old franchises. How do, do you want to do this? You all just want to shout out your guesses? Is that the way to do it? Should we yell our name first? Should we do the old game box trivia buzzing mm. way? Uh, let, uh, nah, just yell it out if you think you know it. Um, hey, what, your way of doing things. Yeah, I know, but it'll get messy. Uh, what is the first <laughs> video game to get a serial? 
You get a cereal, uh, Zelda? Yes. Incorrect. What was that, Mike? Mario. Oh, I said Chex Quest. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Man. Is that cereal that gets a video oh, game? Guess I guess yeah. I that one. <laughs> that's like Street Fighter, the movie, the game, but they make the Chex Quest cereal. I'd be really into that, actually. It's <laughs> yeah. a good idea. Uh, Pac-Man? Nope. Um, Mario. Nope. Close to Mario. Think, I, I said Zelda already. I said nope. Zelda. Think about the shape of like a Cap'n Crunch. A Donkey Kong. There we go. You got it. First guess, Dan. Way to go. Were they barrels? I think so, yeah. Were yeah. they uh, barrels? <laughs> uh, Bananas. It, they say oh. <laughs> it's no, likely no surprise that Mario was the first video game franchise to get a Happy Meal tie-in. What was the second? Pokemon. Incorrect. Oh, Happy Sonic. Meal. I was thinking of Burger King. Sonic? There we go. Dan, do you remember that? That's my wheelhouse right there. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know fast food well. My God. Uh, (laughs) I had the Mario ones too. Shin Megami Tensei took a while to come to the West. This is such a good fact. I had no idea. Uh, But it took a while to get to the West. On what platform? Excuse me? Sorry. No, just after nailing the first two questions, Dan hears Shin Megami Tensei and his face goes blank. (laughs) 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 Which also, I don't know that. All right, here we go. Buckle up, Dan. On what platform did it make its Western debut? The Shin Megami Tensei series. What's that, Dan? PSX, PlayStation 1. Incorrect. Incorrect. I'm done answering this one. Dreamcast. Incorrect. No. <laughs> I just know PSX had a bunch of weird JRPGs. This is so weird. Virtual Boy. Uh, oh, apparently as a top-down okay. action spin-off called Jack Bros. <laughs> <laughs> Game about you, Mike. Hell, look at this. I'm surprised I didn't know that no. one. <laughs> I know most Jack Bros. <laughs> A top-down action Shin Megami Tensei sounds super cool, though. You are a Jax, bro. (laughs) Instead of with love. Uh, Which original video game franchise had the shortest amount of time between the release of the original game and the theatrical adaptation? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that's a good one. It is good. It's one of those, like... What's that? No, just... Pokemon? It wasn't Pokemon, was it? Not Pokemon. Wait, a theatrical, like a movie was made out of the game? Yeah. Ooh. Such a good question. Yeah. I think Pokemon should. <laughs> Mary! Tomb Raider. That makes Correct. Sense. Just that under makes sense. just under five years, uh, apparently. Yeah. But the Pokemon, that's a good point, because like the first movie was 1999. And so maybe they're not yeah. counting that one because it wasn't like live action or whatever. Tomb Raider was like what, 96 and 2000? Yeah, like something like that. Yeah. I know that. I know. I've. I don't know if I've ever seen the original, and I've seen the Cradle, or is that it? The Cradle of Life, or whatever. I think that's, that's the second, second one. one. Yeah. This one's just called Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. I know because I saw them in theaters. Mm-hmm. Wow, I still haven't they seen those movies. They were a big deal for me. Did they? Oh, the first one, yeah. Did yeah. they make a second rebooted Tomb Raider movie, or just that yeah. first? They They're did. not bad. Okay. They're not with bad. Alicia Vikander. Yeah. yeah, she actually she's built like a brick house. She they made her work out really hard for that role, so she's like pretty stacked for it, which is which is cool. The originals they were like, don't gain any muscle at all, but we're gonna give you the biggest padded bra you've ever seen. Now get on this jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> Young me did not mind. <laughs> me neither. That's where I found out. <laughs> <laughs> What do y'all like for question of the week? <clears throat> Dan, you said you were paying attention like nobody has ever paid attention before. Well, 
here's the deal. When you told me that, I looked at the questions I knew we were going to ask, and I was like, oh, I like this one. But then we didn't ask that one, so now I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I like the, uh, you know, how do you record so many podcasts? That was interesting. Um, uh, oh, let's see. The um, game-changing things happening in the game industry. Uh, Trivia is always good. The old stories was simple but effective. Mary, which way are you lean in? Um, I think old stories made us talk the most, but yep. I think a really interesting question was the one about how game uh, spaces change over the time of the game where you brought up, Dan brought up like the Batman cape <clears throat> and stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's a cool, that's a good idea. You know, it's such a neat thing for you to experience in a game. That's true. What about this qualifier though, Mary? What if we're looking for something that makes the show better? That's how we like to frame it. Questions that Ooh. make the show better. I think the one about the inside stories, it's, I think that yeah, made the show one. better. Mike? They both make the show better. That's true. <laughs> Mike, break this tie. Which way are you going? Uh, I like the stories. Okay. Trip down memory lane is always welcome for me. All yeah, right. walking in on people in the bathroom is typically the winner. <laughs> the most memorable thing to happen. Kicking down doors. <laughs> uh, Joshua Limon, congratulations. Uh, I'm 8-Bit. We'll ship out that Lion King Legacy cartridge. Uh, and now it's time for something that we call Get a Load of This. Dan, there's a lot yes. of pressure on you. You were panicking that you didn't have a good tidbit to share. I was talking to Bianca because like, you gave me like an existential crisis earlier <laughs> because I was like, I can't think of anything. You're like, oh, it can be anything. Something you read, something you saw on the internet. And I realized I don't read anything. I don't l- listen to podcasts. I don't like, I don't, I was trying to like, I was thinking about what I do with my life earlier because of this get a Dan, load of this segment. I was like, there's no I argument here. All the time. <laughs> we understand you're ill-informed. We understand that. We can move on. <laughs> So what no, do you got? Very busy. Um, so I had to look and uh, I went to, uh, do you know that Tristan Cooper on uh, on Twitter? No. He, yeah. he, tweets, he had that long thread about like Breath of the Wild minutia and stuff a long time ago. That was awesome. And yeah. he's really good at like finding like little minutia in games and stuff. And I think he retweeted the Polygon story about this old McDonald Treasureland Adventures uh, thing. Did you see about this a couple weeks ago? Uh, no. I think so... So it's uh, basically the developer uh, put in this code that didn't get uh, discovered until just now. And you just go to like the password screen. It's an old like 1993 Sega Genesis game. And you type in this password and it turns into this like like the sound is crazy. Like the, the music is super duper weird. And it starts morphing the McDonald's like logo thing into polygons on Genesis. And so it's like, here's like what looks like an R wing. And now it turns into a paper what? airplane. And now it's just this rotating weird polygonal like cube while like death music is playing. It's just like the whole tone is weird and creepy in this like McDonald's Sega Genesis game. And I love seeing things where it's like, oh, decades later, this cheat is getting discovered, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Uh, There's links below, by the way, in the description for all these things mentioned. Um, This is a quick one. Uh, My girlfriend's reading a book about Winston Churchill. Um, She's very smart. Um, But she told me this crazy story that apparently when the London bombing started happening in World War II, uh, one of the first things they did is the government's like, we need to go to the London Zoo and start killing these dangerous animals. And so, like, not they got a lot of the big animals out there, but like all of the poisonous snakes 
and like spiders are like, we need to kill these things. Cause if the zoo gets hit and then it's just poisonous snakes going through London, like that is more than this city can handle. And so they actually do they keep there. Don't they just have like three in a pen where it's like, Hey, look at those. They don't have like 40,000 of them. Right? London was notorious for having more poisonous snakes and yeah. spiders than any other city in the world. Yeah. It was do you like, think Churchill drank so much. Yeah. It was like an Indiana Jones. Set, Surrounded by like, poison spiders. They fucking love their poisonous snakes there. <laughs> a, in pint, a pint of brandy every morning keeps the poisonous snakes. Snakes it doesn't really keep them away, but makes the day easier. Yeah, um, Mary, did you ever get a load of this? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was not ready. I wasn't ready. one. Damn, I, I told you to remind them. What this for question them? is? Mm. What is this? Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, here, Mary. Um, here's a top secret one. You can relay it like it's your own fact. Um, poison ivy is technically in the cashew family. You can eat poison ivy. It's a cashew. <laughs> hey, that's really cool. Hey, the more I, you know. Mike, do you Get out one? there. Was I supposed to plan for this? What is this? Dan, that's I, what I said. Is it supposed to be a fun fact? Dan, you, I told you to tell them. You're like, absolutely. No problem. <laughs> I thought you told me in the Discord that they're in. Wait, where did you tell me? You will go back. We'll check the messages. Okay, so I just got like a, like, a, like a little known fact. It's something that fact stood out to you. Tell Dan a secret and tell oh him to tell other people. God. He ain't going to do it. He's going to forget because he's got a memory of a cashew, which is also the same as poison ivy. That's right. Uh, yeah, something you learned recently, Mike, that when you made you go, hmm. Oh. Uh. <laughs> uh. 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 I didn't really know that um, Hamilton and Burr had their duel in Weehawken, which is like a mile north of me. Uh, hey, dueling, dueling was legal in Jersey back then. Pretty good. Pretty good. Probably, mm. I'll think of one like right after we stop recording. Uh-huh. Dan, are you I just found a message exchange from me and Ben uh, from a few days ago. It says, we have, this is Ben. We have a segment at the end called Get a Load of This, where we each share a tidbit or little factoid or tweet with something interesting we learned recently. Want to remind the other folks? And I say, sure thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> as sure of a thing as you can get. So I appreciate it, Dan. Is this our, did I definitely not do that, Mike and Mary? 100%. What do you think? Got it. Sure, sure thing. thing. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. I didn't copy and paste that and send it to you guys. Are yeah. you sure? <laughs> Never heard of this shit in my life. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> hey, anyways, uh, we also have the community that submits them in the community Discord. And uh, I mean, Leafeon posted a tweet recently with a weird factoid talking about in face raiders on the Nintendo 3DS. You remember that old built in yeah, yeah, launch yeah, yeah. game? They are. Apparently, there lies a controversial feature in the game which displays an error message if you choose to make a raider out of a religious, political, or Nintendo of Japan figurehead. And like it shows an oh, image wow. that if you try to scan in Miyamoto's face, an error message pops up and says, please do not take photos of Miyamoto. <laughs> So you can oh play God. as him in this weird game on 3DS. Fun facts huh. for everybody. I wonder if stuff like Scribblenauts ever did stuff like that. Incorporated developers? No, no, no. Scribblenauts, if you like put in like a religious figure or something like that or something, there's not supposed to be a depiction of, you know, like yeah. if it didn't would, let you. Or would it even like allow like priest, I wonder? I bet it would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, Elizabeth II is a trained mechanic. <laughs> Oh, hey, get a load of this, this guy's been on Wikipedia. <laughs> little known fact, and it's her waving. <laughs> so she's a trained mechanic. I love it. Imagine her working on your on your your Chevy. <laughs> no. 
Hey, uh, thank you so much. You need a new transmission. (laughs) (laughs) You you got a leaky spark tube here. Plug. (laughs) Dan, do you think you'd be like awestruck if you met the queen? Like, what would your reaction be if like the queen just walked by you on a sidewalk and said, doodaloo? I would just think like, oh, that's hilarious that I met the queen. (laughs) Boy, I can really have no idea what the queen does. I have no idea what her role is. She doesn't do anything. So that reminds me of Helen Mirren, who played in The Queen. That's right. When Dan and I met Helen Mirren at the Death Stranding art exhibit over in the Meatpacking District here in New York. Here's a little known fact. Yeah. When we met her and got that photo, uh... I said, uh, we're fans of your work. We'd love to get a photo. I said, you're great. The queen. I was like, I loved you as the, the computer and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Of course. Dan, no, sh- I see you not to Helen Mirren, quite one of the best actors ever, said you were awesome in Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I've seen her in. <laughs> awesome. What did you say to that? She was she into was like, it. Yeah, she was cool. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird life. Speaking of queens and kings, this yeah. is a thing that I have, I'm still struggling with ever since uh, that prince guy died a little bit ago. I That prince guy died, uh, the old, the, the ancient guy in England, and it was a big oh, deal. For you a meant prince. Yeah. Like, are you calling prince Not, that prince no, guy? I know yeah, who sorry. prince is, for God's sake. Mr. Symbol Man. Come on. Yeah, prince. No, there was an, an old British prince guy died, and it was all over the news, and uh, I remember like, who? I've never heard of this guy. And then I I saw all this old footage and they're like ah he was queen elizabeth's rock as they the love throughout the ages and i was like wait because i just assumed the queen is married to the kings queen kings and queens are married and i was like how wait why was this guy a prince like and then it was uh, her my son whole understanding of kings and queens is broken i think because are kings not married to queens she married her son <laughs> <laughs> Um, Dan, does anyone know? I also like, have no I idea. Broke me. Yeah, I, I was, <laughs> my girlfriend was floored the other day because I acknowledged, like, I have no idea who Prince, whoever is married to. Like, I don't know these names. She's like, how do you not Meg know Markle these names? and Prince Harry and William and. I okay, them, all right, yeah. I, it's who just like. the last king? Was she married to, like, a dude before the old prince guy and he was the king? Or was her dad the king? Like, how do so you it's her, the king? No one knows. Who was the king? king? From my understanding, her dad was king, so it got passed to her. The ne- like she was in the actual bloodline, didn't marry into it. He's Are not, kings never married to queens in England? He's not of legal birth to like. Oh, I think be they are king, right? So, so then you become a prince if you marry a queen. You can't marry into kingdom. I, I, don't, I don't know why I spoke up. I have no clue. I, don't I gotta think watch the so. I'm not the only one here that doesn't no, understand. No, I'm so. Listen, it's clearly silly. none of us know what we're talking in, about. In descending order <laughs> of dumbness. In descending order of dumbness, it's astrology, Myers Briggs, the yeah, royal family. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think I always assumed because I didn't think that Queen Elizabeth was married to anyone, and so I think I just assumed in the back of my head, like, oh, she must have been married to the king, but the king died young, and right. she's like 200 years old now. Yeah. Uh, but then apparently she's just had a dude this whole time. She had to do this whole time. We hope you've learned something from this podcast. Thank you so much. Mm. Uh, Mary, what would you like to plug? If you could just plug anything in the world. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If I could plug anything in the whole world, uh, it would probably be Fire Escape. That's our new podcast that that we're all doing. If you liked this, well, why you'd love Fire Escape, which we've only had two episodes. We're still getting in there, but they're all good. So get on in there and go check it out, pretty please. And I also stream on Twitch. I got two in. You can't stop me. Nope, that's totally fair. Uh, Dan streams on Twitch. Mike, you want to plug anything extra? Fire Escape. Um, Don't mention no, Fire Escape. Stream. 
Fire Escape's it. Everything else I do is pretty much Vox Media Polygon. Go go there if you want to read some some cool. Yeah, where, uh, you, where you're working with Ana Diaz now in a strange way, right? I have not worked with her personally yet, but oh. yeah, she's on the team. Neat! I'll have, I'll have to say hi. You will have to at some point. Um, let's see, for us, we have Trivia Tower. New episode coming up on Monday. This is our monthly community video game trivia contest where it's basically like one versus 100 uh, or like a trivia battle royale. You're working your way up the Trivia Tower. Uh, Dan was the co-host on the first episode and on this Monday's episode, which is happening on Monday, May 17th, uh, at 6 p.m. Central uh, with Greg Miller as the co-host, uh, it should be a very fun time. So if you support us any tier on Patreon, you can jump in there and win an Astro A40 headset or uh, plenty of game codes. Dan, did you have a good time doing that? That whole, whole thing. I'm a sucker for any kind of game show trivia type segment, and that was a really the, the way you integrated Discord and everything into it was extremely clever. Uh, so yeah, awesome work on that. Thank you. Yeah, it should be a good time. So jump in there. It was okay. And, uh, hey, thanks, Mike. I totally understand. <laughs> Just kidding. It was really good. I watched the one with Danny. It was good. Oh, yeah. That was super fun. Yeah, we had, like, map trivia where we showed a map, then you had to try and figure out what game it was from. So, yeah, you can check out the archive if you want to get a better idea of how it all works, but we'd love to have your support, and uh, hopefully you can win big. And you can impress Greg Miller. Who doesn't want to impress Greg Miller, huh? He said really nice things about Fire Escape. I, I just he's impressed by all sorts of stuff because he's a nice man. He and so very it's nice very man. rare that he wouldn't even... I think Greg may even fake... Uh, enthusiasm not like on purpose but like just because he's so nice he wants to be a kind person that's the kind of guy he is which I like the fire escape enthusiasm was genuine though that was Uh, I think everything he does is genuine I'm just saying I think like he would rather do that than I think be mean because he's not a mean guy that's all I'm saying I respect (laughs) him for that yeah he's a good dude it's it's nice to be in this kind of it feels like a newer era of friendliness amongst all outlets and like patron outlets and podcasts where it's like yeah we're all in the same boat this idea of it being like I don't know, an old rivalry between IGN and GameSpot. It's just like, oh, it's all up to me. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, late night now, where it's like every late night host seems yeah. cool and they're all friends with each other. And there's no That was on. always fake though, because we never really disliked anyone from IGN. I remember like one time we were all yeah. leaving to get lunch and we <laughs> saw some people from IGN and Chris Waters did that like old snapping <laughs> side to side, like we were from rival gangs and they did it too. And it was a funny little jest. I don't remember like ever actually feeling like we had to beat the others at anything yeah. i never felt it yeah i, 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 I felt think some of it when i interviewed a game informer in 09 because uh, i remember they were like asking me about my history with with games you know writing and stuff and i was like oh yeah now i grew up like my two were you know game informer and egm every single month and then uh, the guy who was interviewing me was like hmm, yeah i'm not familiar with that second one and just kind of moved on as a joke <laughs> <laughs> probably kind of but yeah okay yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it takes all kinds. Yeah, I think it's kind of like an older era, even like before your GameSpot era, I think, where there might have been more of that rivalry of like, ah, oh, there's only be one mm-hmm. magazine or only one website. And I'm sure it wasn't even that bad back then, anyways. Everybody just gets to go to E3 and get drunk and have a good time together, no matter what. I hate people I worked with more than anybody at other sites. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Hey, uh, we want to thank everybody who supports us at the $50 tier on Patreon. Uh, they get their name no. in the credits in the description for every YouTube channel or every YouTube video we post and every podcast. And you know who I'm talking about, Dan. I'm talking about Fixture Gaming. Call Me By Your Game podcast. I am 8-Bit, Rainmaker.gg, Mirko Rico Torino, Zachary Pliggy, Beaten Down Brian, Andrew Yurkowitz, Jawar Hello, Real AFTV, Mark Seliga, Ludwig Roge, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Andrew Valla, Yarrow, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, Clint Farley, Spider Dan, Prethum Yar Legata, Clayton Myers, Starkiller, Steve Bamdad, Jesse Vitelli, and Slick Nick. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you all for being here. Appreciate your time. And until next time, be good, have fun, let's go! Let's go!